Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. My name is Seth, the newest member of Crush 40. And I'm Super Ghouls and Eric. So much happening so quickly this week, Seth. Couldn't keep up, wasn't fast enough, had to do something. Eric, are, are you okay? I know you've been burning the candle at both ends trying to cover all of the events that have been happening this week. So, so many events, so much to watch. I spent 48 hours straight researching every brother in Nintendo history for this week's Brother's Day Top 5. Well, I, I feel like I've got to do a brother check-in right now, dude. Something's not right with you. Well, I, I've never felt better, Seth. I feel fast. It's given me all the time I've needed to play Knockout City. So, so much Knockout City. Yeah, yeah, man. Knockout City from Velen Studios, our indie showcase this week. That game's been awesome. We've been playing a bunch of it, but but what what did you do? Have you even been to sleep this week? Ha, had to be me. Somebody else would have gotten it wrong. Consumed all the coffee, all the caffeine is within me now. All of it is inside me. Gotta go fast. I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about Sonic this week as we break down the first ever Sonic Central event, but dude, I think you may have taken it a bit too far. I, 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 I have seen the very fabric that weaves the tapestry of time, Seth. Okay, I, I, I'm going to figure out what exactly to do with him and, and go ahead and get the intro started. It's time to go all in. Guys, I managed to calm Eric down, and he's he's pretty zonked out right now. Uh, but the show must go on. I, I guess I'm going to start without him. So we want to obviously welcome new and returning listeners to All End a Nintendo Podcast this week, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. I'm happy to be here with you this week. I know Eric is too, even in his unconscious asleep state. But man, it's it's I got to tell you guys, we have got a jam-packed week between everything that's been going on between an awesome indie showcase a really fun brother's day top five a main segment about sonic the hedgehog what uh i mean yeah there's a lot to get into i mean normally this would be the point in the show where i would ask eric what he's been up to this week but uh, <laughs> uh, 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 whew. uh okay 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 i think i'm good seth i'm good you're you're good are you sure yeah i, I kind of crashed there a little bit may uh maybe had a little bit too much caffeine maybe so uh yeah kind of crashed there a little bit but uh took a little micro nap and uh, I, th I think i'm good i think i'm good we're ready to do this okay well well i gotta know then dude what have you been up to this week oh so much oh man okay well I, man, we're even to start, honestly. Well, well, I know what I'm going to be doing this weekend. I told you guys a few months ago that I got super addicted to Lucifer there for a little while, and they just released brand new episodes of that on Netflix, so I'll probably be having to binge oh, no. that over the course <laughs> of the weekend, but that's future. What have I been up to this past week? Well, I'm glad you asked. So... Uh, ironically enough, we're going to be talking a little bit later on about a, an independent company who released a big, awesome, cool online multiplayer experience. But ironically enough, there was a major video game publisher that also released this past week 
a really cool, fun, unique online multiplayer experience that the irony there is the fact that it's flown much further under the radar than the indie game one did. I am talking about Konami's Mm. new Super Bomberman R Online. Uh, Oh, yeah. Might be talking a little bit more about Bomberman later, but they just released a brand new Bomberman Battle Royale game, and this is exactly what Bomberman has needed. If any franchise has needed a Battle Royale-style treatment, it has honestly been Bomberman. I have been having so much fun with Super Bomberman R online. I haven't got a Bomber 1 as winning their version of the Battle Royale is called, but I'm still just enjoying it so, so much. They even brought back the mountable creatures from the old Sega Saturn Bomberman game, which I thought was really cool. cool. And they have a lot of the specialized Konami Bombermen in the game. They have Alucard Bomber. They have the Contra Guys Bombers. They've got Vic Viper Bomber and all the different Konami character bombers. It's uh, it's really cool. You can download a free version of the game. There is a $9.99 premium version of the game, which, I mean, I $9.99 is what I would pay for the base game anyway. I'm just having so much right. fun with it. I, it is worth mentioning that the premium version does come with all of those Konami character bombers, and a lot of those characters do have special abilities that you can use. So admittedly you can kind of look at it as if it's a pay to win kind of model. So that might be, I can see why some people might think that's a little icky, but I'm still having an absolute blast playing the base version of the game. I'm a, a, I've been a big Bomberman fan for a long, long time. And I can see myself losing a lot of hours, somehow finding a lot of hours to lose to this version of the game. So if you've ever been a fan of Bomberman or if you've never tried Bomberman before, again, the base version of the game is a free download. I do recommend trying out Super Bomberman R online and maybe you'll find me online to play with. But in addition to that, a game that I was really excited for coming to the Nintendo Switch, we've been so busy with so many other things. There's been so much going on that I completely forgot that this past week on the 20th, actually the last week on the 20th, the game came out. I'm talking about Fexel fighting EX layer, another dash, a PlayStation game that has been ported to the Nintendo switch with a few little minor tweaks, but I really enjoy the game quite a bit on the PlayStation, and I am enjoying the game quite a bit on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I can, considering the fact that we haven't gotten a Street Fighter game on a Nintendo console in a long time, I can say pretty confidently that Fighting EX Lair is probably the best console Street Fighter game that we've gotten on a Nintendo console since probably Super Turbo back on the Super Nintendo. So, just for that simple fact, I enjoyed quite a bit, and if you like games like that, if you like fighting games like Street Fighter and stuff like that, I do recommend checking that one out, and hopefully we'll get to talk more about that game down the line. In addition to that, a game came out yesterday that I really want to pick up, but I haven't had time for. The new Wonder Boy, Asha and Monster World, came out yesterday. Oh, yeah. I really want to play that. I really want to pick that up. 
That came out yesterday. I haven't had time to even take a look at it yet, but hopefully I get the chance to pick that up and put some time into that. But a couple of the things that I've been spending a lot of time with, been spending a lot of time with Monster Hunter, in addition to a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about very soon. We got a lot of new, it seems like every other day there's a new event mission, a new event-based special mission added to the game. So you and I have been doing a lot of that. In addition to that, I can finally say, Seth, after months, you and Anastasia are now cordially invited to the premiere of my Animal Crossing Island at your earliest leisure. Woohoo! Nice. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. This has been a long, it feels like it's been a long time coming. I've been dutifully putting in work every day on my Animal Crossing Island And for anybody who knows me and how little I typically get into user-created content like that, what I've done with my island, I feel like personally is a big deal for me. So I'm excited for you and Anastasia to come check it out. But even beyond that, there's a ton more that I've been playing this week. Last week, we reported on five new games coming to the Nintendo Switch Online app. We've had one new NES game and four new, well, technically five new Super Nintendo games released on the NSO apps. So I did actually put some time in with each of those titles. Uh, very briefly, the uh, the Nintendo game, Ninja Jaja Marukun, I think is the name, uh, right. came out in 1985 originally, and it looks like it's just a fun little arcade-style point chaser. You play as this adorable little chibi ninja who throws out shurikens and you jump from level to level. It almost feels like Donkey Kong meets Bonanza Brothers, but it's a fun, adorable little arcade-style point chaser with a big Japanese flair to it. So, again, if you like those old 80s arcade-style games like Pac-Man and Galaga and, you know, all those iconic little point chasers, but you get to play as a cute little ninja. So if we gave scores, you know, 10 out of 10. But the the Super Nintendo games were very clearly the star of the show when it comes to this release. And one of the things they surprised us with there, as I mentioned, there's technically five games in this release because we got a special version of Super Mario Kart. We already had the normal version of Super Mario Kart, but they released the special version of Super Mario Kart that already has basically everything in the game unlocked to include the special cup. So if you've ever played the original Super Mario Kart, you do have to play through the rest of the game to unlock the special cup. But if you decide to boot up the special version of the game that just released, you immediately have access to the final cup in Super Mario Kart, Rainbow Road included. So another reason for uh, another reason for a few of us to jump back in there and and maybe play some old old school Mario Kart. But We did also get four new games with the NSO app. Like I mentioned last week with the whole caveman action platformer theme, we did get the original Joe and Mac, which I can confirm is still a caveman based action platformer. I will say (laughs) I did get quite a bit of nostalgia. I was playing through the first 10 or so levels of, of Joe and Mac and it was really hitting me. I, I had vivid, some vivid recollections come back to me of playing that game back when I was a kid. I don't know where I played Joe and Mac, 
but I was running to a lot of stuff that was feeling very familiar and it was really hitting that nostalgia bone in my body. It was one of those, <laughs> it was one of those experiences like, Oh, like deja vu. Like, Oh, I've been here before. Like, like late, yeah. like late onset deja vu. So it's what it's all about, man. Yeah. Just sending you right back to your childhood for a while there. I was eight years old again and I was loving every second of it. But yes, in addition to Joe and Mac, we also got Baseball Simulator 1000, 1.000, whatever, however you want to pronounce that. But yeah, it's a baseball game on the Super Nintendo. And I think just about anybody who's even remotely familiar with baseball and or the Super Nintendo can probably guess exactly what that game's going to look like and almost exactly how it's going to play. And you are correct in those assumptions. So, (laughs) but I mean, I'm glad to have a baseball game on the Nintendo switch would very much like a brand new Mario super sluggers, but with it, especially with it being right in the middle of baseball season right now, I have been kind of hankering. Yes. I said hankering for some type of baseball experience. So I'm sure I'll wind up jumping in and playing a few more exhibition games. It'd be nice if they threw that one online. If you could play that one online, that would be really cool. But yes, you've got a baseball game there if you're a baseball fan and you want to play baseball games. So cool. So we've got Joe and Mac. We've got Baseball Simulator. They also added (laughs) Spanky's Quest. This is a nice little game from Natsumi. And Spanky is a monkey who has apparently just been walled in to this massive fortress, just minding his own business, walking throughout the forest. And then all of a sudden these bricks and blocks just fall all around him and he winds up stuck in this forest, but kind of going with the sports theme, I guess, starting with baseball simulator and going into this, it's also kind of an arcade style game, but more akin to bubble bobble where you have to defeat rooms of enemies. And then you get the key from the enemies you defeat. And then you go through the locked door and you move on to the next stage. The interesting thing about Spanky's quest though, is the fact that, you, he actually throws out a lot of different sports balls. You use the action button and you throw out this little pink bubble. And then if you jump into it, it gets bigger and it changes color. And then if you jump into it again, it gets bigger and changes color again. And then it does it a third time. But you can activate that projectile whenever you want to. If you activate it just right after throwing it, it turns into a little baseball that kind of arcs back down. If you hit it once and then activate it, it turns into like six volleyballs that fly into a small arc right in front of you. If you go to the third tier, then it turns into some dodgeballs that start to twirl around in a circle pattern. And then if you jump hmm. into it three times and activate the fourth final tier, then it turns into five basketballs that spread out and do kind of this area of effect attack. So. You've got these weird, the, the the game plays very interestingly. I just thought it was weird that this jungle monkey named Spanky, who is somehow trapped in this magical fortress with all these weird monsters, attacks using magical bubbles that turn into different American sports balls. But even though it is kind of floaty, like a lot of old arcade games like that are, I dug it. And... It's only a couple hours long, so I think I might actually just go ahead and do a full playthrough of that one here sometime soon. But the final Super Nintendo game that got released is 
the anime puzzler Magical Drop 2. I think it's worth noting that the other three new Super Nintendo games that we got all came out in 1991. And Magical Drop 2 was in 1996, like within a month of the Nintendo 64 coming out. So, oh wow, we got three super early Super Nintendo games, and then one incredibly late Super Nintendo game in this drop. In this magical drop. In this magical <laughs> drop, absolutely. <laughs> and I've seen a couple other games like this, but what the game reminds me of is, and I know this is probably going to be a deep cut for a lot of people, and a lot of you aren't going to have a clue what I'm talking about. But when I was talking to you about the game, Seth, I likened it to a game called Critter Crunch that I personally played on the PlayStation 3. Love that game. Well, essentially what it is, you play as a character who is at the bottom of the screen and almost like bust a move, you have all these gems toward the top of the screen, but instead of shooting gems up using a cannon, what your character does is you go along the bottom row and you go along gym by gym, left to right, and you can grab the gems that are immediately above your character. And you can grab as many gems. Uh, you know, obviously the different colored gems are spread out, very hexic, very bejeweled style. But you can move left to right, and you can grab as many of the same color gem as you can find. So if you want to start grabbing red gems, you can move over to another red gem or another cluster of red gems. And it's kind of hard to describe without seeing it in motion. But it is a very interesting little fast-paced puzzle arcade game. I did actually do a full playthrough of Magical Drop 2. I actually saw the credits for the game. And I played as this weird fairy character who only has this sash that's flying around her for clothing, for concealment, because Japan. And (laughs) I I mean, I guess spoilers, but it's a 25-year-old... Nintendo game, so I don't really mind too much. But her ending specifically in the game was that she flies away, presumably like my job is done here kind of deal. But her sash that surrounds her gets snagged on another character's spear. And as she's flying away, her only quote unquote clothing basically comes off. And that's basically the end of the game. And I'm like, well, then. yeah, I was like, well, that's Japan for you. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But yeah, so uh, I mean, aside from that, I haven't really done much this week, Seth. <laughs> Is that all? No wonder you're hopped up on coffee. Dude, oh my <laughs> Lord, this past week, man. Well, for me, it's been a lot of the stuff that uh, that we're going to be talking about later in the show. Uh, a lot of Monster Hunter, of course, yeah, that presentation that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knockout City for Indie Showcase, worth noting. Uh, Knockout City does have its block party period going on right now, so you can actually play the full version of the game for free through to tomorrow at the time this episode goes live. So you can actually, and we'll mention that a little bit later when we talk about it in our full indie showcase on the game, but playing Knockout City during the block party period, you can do that completely for free if you want to check the game out. So we did want to shout that out because uh, we both been playing a lot of that game, yeah. and we'll talk about that much more extensively uh, later in the episode. Uh, But I did want to shout out, I picked up a Wii, actually, from our friend Dan 
uh, over from Retrologic, the Retrologic podcast. He also has an online game store that he runs on eBay for right now. We had him on the show recently. Huge fan of him. Shout out to them. They just uh, launched the Retro Groove music podcast as part of the newly christened Retrologic podcast network. So big ups to them. Happy for them for doing that. And yeah, I picked up a Wii from him. I've been looking for a good, clean, working Wii for a while. And uh, been playing a little like Wario Land Shake It, oh. like one of the most underrated Wii games. I love that game. I love Wario Land Shake It. Uh, the cartoon aesthetic in that game is amazing. It's so good. It, it really is. So underrated. Uh, and yeah, just been kind of like futzing around with some older stuff, bouncing around a lot between all the different games we have. I mean, it. we, we thought that this was going to be a quiet news week. We thought that the weeks leading up to E3 uh. were going to be quiet. <laughs> but like it's been so hectic it really feels like e3 started this week man yeah for all intents and purposes e3 has begun like yeah. shang sung from the 1993 movie it has begun <laughs> yeah exactly so so what do you say we get the ball rolling and start tackling some of this stuff and hit up the news okay my body is okay i can do this <sighs> all right all right seth my my body is ready let's do this Listen. Well, the first thing we definitely have to mention when it comes to the news, for the first time we have NPD news, and it is not kicking off our news roundup. As a matter of fact, there is a slightly yeah. bigger news story that we have to at least address. We honestly thought by the time we recorded this episode that we were going to have uh, actual hard facts on the fabled, long-rumored, spoken of in whispers until now, Switch Pro. Eurogamer and Bloomberg report that Nintendo intends to reveal the Switch Pro in advance of E3 so that publishers can freely showcase their games running on the hardware. They also say that the platform that the console will be released in the fall. So this came out a little earlier in the week. And again, we honestly thought that there was a very good chance of us finally seeing the Switch Pro before we recorded this episode. But as of right now, as of this exact moment that we're recording we have not yet heard anything on nintendo's follow-up big brother to the nintendo switch although there is every reason to think at this point that we will be hearing something at the very beginning of next week more than likely this time next week uh ladies and gentlemen we will all have a very good idea of what the Switch's bigger brother will look and play like. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of like kind of rumblings that are coming out. I, I don't want to get into every single solitary thing that's been coming out about it, but the big takeaway here is that we had every reason to believe that it could have been announced as early as last Thursday. There were people that were expecting they were going to kind of come in ahead of the Memorial Day weekend, um, and it's like... It didn't wind up happening at the time of this recording. We actually were like terrified of this because we we were like trying to push this episode's recording as far as we could because we were obviously it's a huge story. We're going to have to cover it if it gets announced. But, at, you know, we pushed it as late as we could and, and it still hasn't been announced. So I think we're safe. But in any case, we will almost certainly have this announcement happen next week. I mean, there are some major publications that have kind of staked their reputation on their sources being correct that Nintendo is ready to announce this thing in advance of E3. I think that would be a smart move on Nintendo, uh, letting publishers showcase their games running on shiny new hardware. They've got 
as far as we know that we have no reason to believe anybody else is going to have hardware being shown to D3. So, I mean, it's, it's a smart business decision and I'm kind of hoping, and I was telling you this, I'm kind of hoping that Nintendo drops that on us next week and at the same time reveals its E3 plans. Because at this point, E3 is like, what, two weeks away? And we still don't know exactly what Nintendo's got planned. So I, I think it's time. And uh, yeah, very, very likely that when we uh, when then we are with you guys again next week, we will be hearing about Switch Pro and we will be talking about Switch Pro. So we will see. That is certainly the... Uh, the monster looming in the distance heading towards the city. That's not a bad metaphor, actually. But as you've already alluded to, we do indeed have some NPD numbers to get into really, really quickly because uh, there's some huge stories this week that I want to get into. But always love reporting on NPD numbers for you guys. Uh, we have got April 2021 NPD reporting that consumer spending across video game hardware, content, and accessories totaled $4.6 billion, which is a huge number, but. It is actually a decline of just 2% when compared to a year ago. This is to be expected. I I mentioned this last week. I do expect to see this uh, kind of more small declines like this moving forward as we're just not going to be able to compete with last year. Last year is unprecedented. Uh, This time last year, the pandemic was really in full swing. So I I, I think that we're going to see some small declines like this continue. But I mean, still. Video games are still making a lot of money. Frankly, the fact that it's only a 2% decline blows my mind because we're talking about April NPD numbers. April was, the world shut down mid-March. So the end of March and going into April, that's when everybody was going out and buying all of the video game consoles and all of the video games that were on store shelves because they knew they were going to be stuck at home for the foreseeable future at that point. So a- April was when the store shelves went barren of video right. games. So the fact that the sales are down only 2% versus that month kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We It was interesting because hardware sales specifically fell 40% overall, which is more in line with what I was expecting. Yeah. But um, even in spite of that, though, the Nintendo Switch has continued to be the top dog of the sales charts. Uh, the Nintendo Switch was the best-selling hardware platform in both unit and dollar sales during the month of April, as well as the best-selling hardware in the year 2021 to date. So Nintendo still on top in a historic, historic run on the market, and that will only get better uh, as the Switch Pro kind of comes into the fold. So that'll be interesting to see. The top 10 best-selling Nintendo Switch games of April 2021 were in order. Number one, new Pokemon Snap. No surprise there, right? Of course. You're welcome for that sales bump there, Nintendo. We did our full (laughs) review on that game a couple weeks ago. Do go back and check that out. And uh, we can probably attribute most of the sales to uh, to our exposure. So uh, so. you're welcome. I think so. You're welcome. (laughs) yeah so new pokemon snap was the third best-selling game of the month across all platforms it only got beat out by mlb the show 21 and call of duty because call of duty yeah uh but launch month physical sales of new pokemon snap more than doubled those of the original game so that's a crazy statistic and it's also worth noting that this game was only able to be tracked for just a couple of days if you remember the game launched on april 30th and NPD numbers are pulled on May 1st. So 
it actually was only being tracked for like two days of its run, and it already was the third best-selling game across everything and the first best-selling game on Nintendo platforms. So very cool. And also worth noting, as always, Nintendo NPD is only tracked by physical game sales. So it may well have been, when you include digital sales, the best-selling game of the month. So that's also worth noting. New Pokemon Snap sold very, very well, folks. Number two, Monster Hunter Rise. No surprise. Number three, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Of course. Still, man. Here's an, here's something that's interesting. Number four, Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. And number five, Animal Crossing New Horizons. Really interesting. That's the first time we have seen Animal Crossing drop that low since launch. It's always been the back and forth between Mario Kart and Animal Crossing. But it got overtaken by 3D World this month. And I, I got to be honest with you, I've got to imagine that the lack of new content coming to New Horizons is starting to kind of contribute to the game's consumer interest tapering off a little bit. Well, I that and the fact that how many people own it, like almost half yeah. of all Switches out there in the wild have a copy of Animal Crossing, have a physical copy of Animal Crossing New Horizons right? to go with them at this point. So, I mean, how much of it, I, I believe me, I know that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is still selling incredibly well uh, as well. So it's it's hard to imagine how much of that is what's going on with the current state of the game in terms of the relative lack of new content versus the fact that everybody on the planet who's even remotely interested in buying the game may already just have the game. That's fair. It's fair. And, and there's also the, the notion of like, you know, people are buying it for their kids. So there's some people who have three, four copies of Animal Crossing in their household, you know? So I don't know. It's 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 just interesting to see that game kind of finally. It's been over a year, but it's now finally starting to taper off a little bit and get dethroned by something like 3D World plus Bowser's Fury, which continues to sell really well. And another surprise, number six, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. So it seems like there's still some <laughs> physical copies floating around in stores. Yeah, there was no way Nintendo was going to be able to just say, hey... It's March 31st. We've got to recall every single copy <laughs> that every store in the world has of this game. Of course, that wasn't going to happen. No. There were still plenty of copies left out in the wild. And I think that's probably what contributed to a lot of these April numbers and why it sold so well is people saw those stranded, you know, lonesome copies and be like, oh, oh, it's there. They forgot about one. I better snatch it up real quick. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um the last few here are kind of the usual suspects. Uh, number seven, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Number eight, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Number nine, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And number 10, Super Mario Party. So, again, kind of the usual, usual suspects there. No big surprises to round out the NPD, but that's what we got this month. Sounds good. Yeah, obviously that's not really a news story. The fact that first-party Nintendo games sell well and continue yeah. to sell well. Not really a hot take from anybody else there, but... Uh, getting into a lot of the big actual things that did happen from this past week, we're not going to be talking about the Sonic Central here in the news roundup. We are going to be doing a full breakdown of that later on in the show because there was mm -hmm. a lot to talk about from the first ever Sonic Central. So do stay tuned for that at the top of our episode. However, there were certainly no shortage of presentations to watch this 
past week. And we are going to start with the 35th anniversary Dragon Quest live stream. Congratulations on Dragon Quest for reaching this amazing 35th anniversary milestone. Obviously, we're celebrating a bunch of them this year. We finished celebrating Mario's 35th anniversary. We're doing the Zelda 35th this year, the Metroid 35th this year. And Dragon Quest is also very worthy of being celebrated. It's a, it's an incredibly storied game franchise that or whose main entries are consistently among the best-reviewed RPGs out there. And there was a lot of hope going into this 35th anniversary live stream. And sure enough, it, it was certainly worth watching. <laughs> it was certainly a watch. Yeah. That poor, that poor translator. That's exactly what I was about to say. That poor translator, man. So they <laughs> broadcasted this presentation uh, in Japan. It was live streamed in Japan and was presented by a apparently popular Japanese TV personality. Um, and they were sitting down, uh, talking with, uh, Yuji Hori, the creator of Dragon Quest, and the entire thing was being simulcasted in English, meaning that you had a live English translation being done by this poor woman who was doing it live, having to translate two Japanese speaking men at the same time by herself. And people were kind of making fun of her in like the live chat and stuff. But you guys have to understand how incredibly difficult that must have been. I felt so bad for her. Imagine just having an entire floor full of spinning plates and you can't let a single one of them drop for a good half an hour. That's essentially what this woman was doing the entire time. She was having to constantly take all this information that was being told to her by multiple people and immediately regurgitate it in another language. I mean, wh- I'm so- I don't know what your name is, ma'am, but props to you. I gotta yeah. give you, I gotta give you a clap on that one. That's I hope you got something very nice from your employer for that performance. That was yeah. not easy. No, I mean they they better have been giving her a fat paycheck for that, man, because that <laughs> that was that was impressive. But uh, you know, to get into the presentation itself, I mean, we kind of knew coming into this that we were going to get Dragon Quest Twelve news. Uh, and they, I mean, they led up to that. Yuji Hori himself built up hype for that. The presentation actually started with that Japanese presenter affixing the, you know, the the 12 on the clock, you know. So yeah. we, we very much knew that that was coming, that that was going to be the big thing happening in this presentation. There was a lot because this was broadcast primarily in Japan. Like we, it, we were watching it like 11 p.m. almost <laughs> over here where we're at. Um, cause this was being, being presented to a widely Japanese audience as Dragon Quest is in general. So many of the announcements we got here were either not coming to switch or were only going to be available in Japan. Things like the Dragon Quest 10 online stuff that was announced, mm-hmm. even the offline version of Dragon Quest 10 that was announced is yeah, going to be weird. only in Japan. That was weird. Uh, but we did still get a few switch relevant and even uh, Western relevant announcements. Yeah, there was some merchandise that actually looked kind of cool. And I was bummed that they said it's going to be Japan only. Then there was some yeah. mobile stuff. And then, like you said, you had the Dragon Quest Ten online stuff. And then, and then a game that Twitter just immediately fell in love with. And we both immediately fell in love with it as well, they're going to be remaking 
Dragon Quest three in essentially the Octopath Traveler aesthetic. Yeah. However, a much more vibrantly colorful version of the Octopath Traveler aesthetic. And this game looks stunning. That It really does. It looks immaculate. I am so on board for this. The moment Octopath Traveler came out, the commentary was just take that engine and remake these old classic RPGs in it. Games like Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, games like Dragon Quest III. So it's nice that that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, we didn't get a release date on it, but they did say it was going to come to consoles. And considering that Mm. Octopath Traveler itself was a Switch exclusive for a long time, I really hope that this game... I'm not going to guarantee... But I would be very surprised if this game did not come to the Nintendo Switch. The Nintendo Switch is such a great home for retro style games anyway, games that look like this. But man, I just, for the sake that I just really want to play this remake, it looks so, so good. And it shouldn't be too long because it's a remake of a game. All the assets, all the mechanics, all the story elements, all the designs, everything's already been made. They're essentially just translating it into a much more vibrantly colorful version of the Octopath game engine. So hopefully this isn't a late 2022 release hopefully we actually see this and i'm not going to say necessarily a few months but maybe late fall going into the holiday season because i am all over this when this comes out i might even be well it might be a little bit of hyperbole if i said i was more excited for this than something else that was also announced during this live stream sure yeah i mean they also announced the uh dragon quest treasures which is weird Uh, it's a game that's coming out yeah it's a game that's coming out that follows eric and mia from dragon quest 11 in like a spinoff series oh not me not me not me okay cool (laughs) yeah not you not not that eric uh but yeah it follows those characters from dragon quest 11 and we didn't really like see or hear too much about it it seems like it was really early uh but i mean hey that might come out here that might come out uh, you know for the switch but yeah, I mean, talking about all this, all this kind of like uncertain stuff, we do know. I mean, the, again, the big thing coming into this was Dragon Quest Twelve, right? So, oh yeah, everything was really leading up to that. There were some fun little moments between the presenter and Yuji Hori where he was kind of letting things slip that he shouldn't have. There was the whistleblower <laughs> guy in the yeah. background. They had yeah. a literal whistleblower. They were starting to talk. They might have accidentally even confirmed. Uh, potential remakes of Dragon Quest 1 and 2 in that same Octopath engine, but they started talking about uh, potential remakes of 1 and 2, and you had a literal whistleblower from right off camera that was like... (laughs) And they're like, oh, you're no fun. Yeah, he was talking about, when they were talking about Dragon Quest Treasures, a lot of people were like, oh, is this Monsters coming back? And then Yuji Hori was even saying like... uh, like yeah we're actually we're working on dragon quest monsters and the whistle goes off you know (laughs) it was so weird the whole presentation had this bizarre vibe uh but but yes everything was leading up to the announcement of dragon quest 12 and that's exactly what we got dragon quest 12 the flames of fate in a very brief teaser trailer but we got the logo and we know that it's in development we didn't get any sort of like hard date or anything like that uh but it, it was said by Yuji Horty a few interesting little tidbits. A, 
this is going to be a much more mature Dragon Quest game, is what he said. So, and and you kind of get that vibe from the fiery, yeah, you know, brimstone kind of logo and stuff like that. It was very but, volcanic. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, with some like you know deep dark voiceover and stuff like that. Um, he also hinted that there was going to be a huge emphasis on player choice in the story, which is interesting. Yeah, and the title kind of kind of skews in that direction too. The flames of fate—that's really cool. The big thing for me, though, was he also said that they're going to be changing up the battle system. Yeah. That's weird. Because Dragon Quest, for for those who have never played Dragon Quest, that is like the most JRPG of the JRPGs. You know what I mean? Even even with Dragon Quest XI, it's still a very traditional setup. And that's what I loved about it. Dragon Quest XI was my first Dragon Quest game, and I had adored it i just i put like north of 150 hours into it on switch i loved it and that's exactly what i loved about it it really felt like a modern design over old school trappings like the combat was so deliciously old school but then the actual game around it was very modern i loved that so it does give me a little bit of pause when mr horty is saying that uh, that they're going to be changing things up. I, I I don't know. I'll have to see what he does. Of course, we didn't get any gameplay or anything like that. This is very much a tease and an announcement. But I, I mean, it's going to be interesting to say the least. I mean, Dragon Quest has not had a formulaic shakeup like what he's talking about in the history of the series. Well, I I'm confident. I'm confident because historically, Dragon Quest, the mainline Dragon Quest games, have been among the best reviewed RPGs on the planet. All of them. We, we, yeah. This is something we've said before on the show, but Dragon Quest games are so big and so popular that at least for a time, I don't know if it's still the case, but at least for a time, it was forbidden to release one on a weekday in Japan because of the economic impact they were afraid the game was going to have from people leaving work and school to go pick this new Dragon Quest up. I mean, that's how well regarded and revered this franchise is. The mainline Dragon Quest series is one of the most legendary RPG series on the planet. So it's been knocking it out of the park pretty consistently for what, 35 years now? I do yeah. imagine that this game is going to be good. How much this game may turn off longtime fans of the Dragon Quest series, we may have to to wait around and look, but I don't know. We got barely more than a logo for Dragon Quest XII. We did get some nice little gameplay and in-game footage of Dragon Quest III HD 2D remake. But honestly, it's, I, if you're asking me, I think the biggest piece of information, the biggest takeaway from this presentation was just how much Square Enix relies on the Dragon Quest theme. Oh, Yeah. I got so sick of hearing that theme by the end. Dun, 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 dun. It's just playing over and over and over again. I'm like, dude, you're driving me nuts. It was like water torture. I used the theme for just about every trailer. It felt like that entire evening. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't want to go on a tirade about this, but they, they kind of low key talked about the involvement of the legendary artist, Akira Toriyama coming back for 12. Of course, we all sort of expect that. Of but, course, of Dragon Ball Z fame. Of course, you know, Chrono Trigger, I mean, all this stuff, legendary artist. But he was also talking about the potential involvement, and, and they didn't like straight up confirm this, 
But the fact that they were implying that the series composer Koichi Sugiyama is coming back kind of bums me out a little bit. And again, I don't want to get on a huge tirade about this. This could be a whole other topic of discussion. I don't want to keep you guys here all day, but I'm not a fan of Sugiyama. Um, I, I'm not, I think his soundtrack, his score is incredibly pedestrian, to be honest with you there. I'm not saying that the dragon quest music is bad. It's just very middling. And in some ways that's by design, People who are defenders of Sugiyama are like, well, yeah, it's supposed to be kind of generic. It's supposed to call back to classic fantasy. But that theme that you were just talking about, that's basically what the whole game sounds like. And I don't know. I'm that, that That's like the one kind of chink in the armor for, for Dragon Quest in general for me. And, and so I'm not a fan of his score. I'm also just not a fan of the guy. Um, Sugiyama has very famously made some very harsh anti-LGBTQ comments very publicly. So he's just like not a good person either. Uh, so I, I was not thrilled. I, to be honest, after playing Dragon Quest Eleven S, I was like, all right, guys, let's get this guy out. Let's move to a, a new composer. Let's maybe even get, you know, if I had my way, we'd have Yasunori Mitsuda composing Dragon Quest Twelve. To be honest, though, let's be completely honest, Seth. If you had your way, Mitsuda would score every game. That's true. I mean, you're not wrong about that. But I just, <laughs> I, I was like, let's just get some new blood in here, guys. And it, it was, I'll be honest, it was kind of uh, vindicating to see that I was not the only one that felt that way. I immediately jumped on Twitter after the presentation was over and uh, Lena Rain tweeted out about that too. <laughs> she was like, guys, Sugiyama, really? Like, let's get him out of here. So anyway, didn't I don't want to get on a whole tirade about it, but I'm still very much looking forward to Dragon Quest Twelve. Like you said, that is, that is the most consistently excellent JRPG series in history. So I'm sure when 12 comes out, it will continue that track record. But this, this presentation overall was a lot of fun. It was bizarre. Yeah, I felt was. bad for that poor translator, <laughs> I but it was too. fun. It was indeed fun. But that certainly wasn't the only presentation that we got this week. Even beyond that and the Sonic Central, we got the latest Monster Hunter digital event from Capcom. This latest Monster Hunter digital event focused on the 3.0 update for Monster Hunter Rise. We did get a little bit of new stuff about Monster Hunter Stories 2 releasing on July 9th. They made sure to certainly drill that date into our head. But the big focus of this past week's digital event was on the brand new free update to Monster Hunter Rise, which spoke about the brand new epilogue ending mission that they were adding in. And we got to see a couple of the new monsters that are making their way into the game, including a new version of a returning monster from Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. We have Crimson Glow Valstrex who made his way into Monster Hunter Rise this past week. We also got Apex Zenogre, this Mm -hmm. golden lightning puppy. So we got uh, several new monsters. You and I, as a matter of fact, Seth, uh, the, just like we predicted last week, they wound up releasing for us in the West, at least it wound up being the same day release. It wound up releasing just about eight, nine, 10 hours after they finished the presentation, the 3.0 update went live. And you and I actually tried to do that final story mission for tried. Monster Hunter Rise. Tried, <laughs> yes. We actually failed. That was the first time since like the beginning of the game 
when I had like no weapons and no armor. I was basically just running out there with a twig. That was the first time since then that I'd failed a mission. So that final story mission, it's no joke, guys. It's yeah, no I, joke. I've never, I'd never failed a mission before, but there are so many things that uh, that final boss fight does there that just does such a crazy amount of damage. So you definitely want to be prepared before you take that on. Yeah. Yeah, but in addition to the new story mission, the new ending mission, in addition to the Valstrax and the Zenogar, there's also quite a bit more additions to the game in general. They confirmed that we're going to continue to get those event missions at a pretty consistent basis. They also threw in a bunch of little paid DLC. You have new layered armor for the Palamute and the Palico, which is adorable because you have Palamute layered armor for the Palico and Palico layered armor for the Palamute. Mm-hmm. It's it's really adorable and bizarre and weird, but it's worth looking up. And then you've got a few other things. They said they've added new weapon and armor trees that you can craft now in the game and a lot of the usual suspects when it comes to new additions to Monster Hunter. But one of the biggest things we learned in addition to everything that's getting released or rather in addition to everything that got released this past week after the presentation, we saw the roadmap going into the next several months. And the biggest takeaway is, well, there's two really big takeaways from the additions that are going to be coming to Monster Hunter Rise over the next few months. The 3.0 update released this past week, and it looks like the next few updates are going to be 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, etc. It looks like we're not going to a 4.0 or a 5.0 update. It looks like they're going to be building on this current major version of the game. And the way they're going to be doing that, it looks like, is with a bunch of different collaborations. Anybody who's familiar with Monster Hunter World knew that they wound up releasing quite a few crossover items. You had some Street Fighter stuff. You had some Devil May Cry stuff. You even had some Horizon Zero Dawn stuff that made its way to Monster Hunter World. So it looks like there's going to be uh, a few collaborations like that with Monster Hunter Rise. We already know about the collaborations, the cross-collaboration with Monster Hunter Stories. If you have saved data for both games, you'll actually be able to get the armor, the base armor from both games transferred over to the other one. And that'll be pretty cool. But it looks like they're going to be doing some much bigger collaborations akin to those Street Fighter and Devil May Cry and Horizon Zero Dawn uh, events and collaborations from Monster Hunter World. And Seth, you and I, I think, have some pretty good ideas of some things we would love to see. (coughs) Matarasu. That's the big one. Because one of of the Palamute skins already kind of looks like her. And you made that comment. Like, are you just riding around on a Matarasu right now? And I was like... Dude, that needs to be a thing. <laughs> that needs to be a thing. If they had any brains at all over there, they would make that a Palamute skin. True um, story. Yeah, but but I also sort of am speculating that we might get a little bit of Great Ace Attorney crossover. Uh, the kind of like turn of the century industrial kind of vibe that that feudal Japan kind of vibe that the Great Ace Attorney series has ramping up to its new localization that they're really going to be kind of celebrating in July. Uh, I think that would make for a perfect crossover event. I don't know that they're going to do that. For all I know, this may be just typical Street Fighter kind of fair, and that would be great too. But uh, I, I would really like to see some Great Ace Attorney love. 
I don't know, but regardless, we have got confirmation that they are going to be continuing to add content to this game at a fairly steady pace. We didn't get any confirmation of any new monsters in the roadmap going forward. However, I don't know. We'll see what happens. They certainly still have some big plans for Monster Hunter into the future. And I imagine at some point we'll wind up getting something akin to the Iceborne expansion that Monster Hunter World got i assume that something like that will eventually come to monster hunter rise as well the game itself is already massive it's already you can already spend a ton of time losing yourself into that game both seth and i can vouch for that Mm -hmm. but uh, we suspect it's going to be a long time before they finally stop adding stuff to monster hunter rise that's monster hunter how about pocket monsters eric (laughs) nice we uh we got a little bit of pre-E3 Pokemon news, which always kind of happens. The Pokemon company, for those that don't know, kind of operates independently of Nintendo a lot of the time. And they do traditionally have some sort of Pokemon news drop uh, ahead of E3. And this year is no different because the Pokemon company basically randomly announced earlier this week release dates for both Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl coming out November 19th and the much anticipated upcoming Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is dated now for January 28th, 2022, which I think is quite a bit sooner than a lot of people were expecting. And we got box art for all of these. So they kind of rolled out the red carpet a little bit with some release information for these three games. Yeah, in 2022, don't forget, guys, is already a lot closer than I think many of you realize. We're already about halfway through 2021. So January 2022 is a lot sooner than I think a lot of people think it is. So we're going to be getting, obviously, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl here toward the holiday season. And then just a couple months after that, we're going to be getting another massive Pokemon adventure in the form of Pokemon Legends Arceus. So it's (laughs) we're going to have to find a lot of hours come November and January. Hey, I, I gotta be honest with you, man. I'm actually like getting pretty hyped for a kind of old school, kind of more classic pre X and Y Pokemon experience because you know, that that was really kind of the turning point for the series, and it got a little bit more innovative as as the entries went on, going into Sun and Moon and Sword and Shield and stuff. So I am kind of looking forward to like that more classic Pokemon experience with uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Yeah, wh- which version are you getting? I dude, I've always got to go with the diamond. I not okay. only because I think not only because I think diamonds trump pearls anyway, but I just always <laughs> like the I've always liked the, the the design for Dialga a lot better than Palkia personally. That's fair. Well, you know, now I got to get shining pearls so that we can trade and stuff. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'll be picking up brilliant diamond myself. Hashtag Team Dialga. I can't wait though, man. November 19th. That's not that far away. That's, that's going to be a fun time. And then Pokemon legends Arceus right around the corner for a completely different Pokemon experience. And I think the box art really drives that home. A lot of people are acknowledging correctly that the box art calls breath of the wild to mind very heavily as the protagonists and all their Pokemon are making camp and looking outward at a mountain. So it's it's very different from the mainline series Pokemon, which I think is smart because the game in general is not meant to be a mainline entry. I think a lot of people are kind of like billing this as Gen 9 and it absolutely is not. So 
I'm glad they did that. I'm really looking forward to that game, man. I am too. I, it's, the game footage that was shown off a couple months ago during the Pokemon Presents, if I'm being completely honest, it gives me pause to know that that's a game that's going to be coming out less than a year after we see that. But it's that whole moniker of, you know, game footage represents a game in development kind of thing. So there were very clearly a lot of things that still needed to be ironed out with Pokemon Legends Arceus. And I don't know, when it comes to those games, they always do wind up coming out extremely polished. And for the most part, when it comes to big adventures like that, they hit the mark. So I'm I'm going to be very, very interested to see what this, I guess it's technically a spinoff, but it, it almost feels like Pokemon is testing the waters to see if that could potentially be their new norm moving forward yeah i think that's exactly what's happening we we got a taste of this with the isle of armor and uh, crown tundra dlc legends arceus is going to be kind of the the real big experiment i think and uh, and if they hit the nail on the head i think we will see pokemon carry a lot of those ideas forward into gen 9 but that is some time away maybe pokemon will be entered in as an official school esport one day eric you totally <laughs> you totally stole my segue. <laughs> this was a fun story though. It was. It was actually a really interesting little story. Nintendo is partnering with American high schools to make Splatoon 2 and Super Smash Brothers Ultimate officially recognized varsity athletics. That's I, I, I mean what? Yeah, they're partnering with this scholastic esports company called Play Versus. And essentially, they're trying to bring competitive gaming leagues to hundreds of high schools around the country. And participating schools will be provided with Switch units from Nintendo, as well as copies of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and Splatoon 2 to be entered into officially recognized varsity athletics. Where was this when we were in school, man? I know, right? I would love to have gotten a Smash Bros. letter jacket. Are you kidding me? That would (laughs) be amazing. That's starting this fall. Uh, they're 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 going uh, this fall uh, with that initiative. So man, I I mean like that that was such a cool story. It's cool to see Nintendo getting involved with that. It's cool to see that there are already hundreds of high schools that are embracing esports as a legitimate varsity athletic. So yeah. So if you're one of the lucky few who's going to one of these high schools, let us know what that's even like, please. I would love to know what Splatoon 2 varsity athletics programs are going to be like. At the very least, at the very least, please let me know what the cheers are because I am morbidly curious what type of cheers you're going to, you know, have at a varsity Smash Brothers event. You know, go, 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 nair, nair, nair. I am fascinated to know what this would be like to, to have like smash and Splatoon as varsity. Cause they've already got play versus also covers games like rocket league and league of legends and some sports games like Madden and FIFA and stuff like that. But it's cool to have like these big competitive multiplayer games from Nintendo be represented under this brand and, and officially partnered. Uh, this is such a cool initiative. Uh, yeah. I would be fascinated to talk to somebody who is part of a high school smash or a Splatoon varsity league. Oh, could man. you imagine? It's like, what'd you do at school today, honey? Oh, we had a pep rally for our Splatoon two homecoming. I mean, come on. That's so cool. <laughs> it's so weird. I'm, I'm here for it, but it's so strange. Something I am not here for though, sir. Yeah. Is delays. And despite the fact that we recently 
had apparent reconfirmation that Axiom Verge 2, an indie game that you and I have been incredibly hyped for for quite some time, even though despite the fact we recently got reconfirmation, it was still going to be coming out in spring of 2021, i.e. now. Right. It did wind up getting delayed until the core, uh, until Q3 of 2021. So, I mean, I'm not here for it, but I am here for it because of, uh, because of it's getting delayed, it clearly needs the delay. So what's that old adage about, uh, a game comes out and, you know. Yeah, there's that, that Miyamoto quote, right? Where he, he says something to the effect of like a delayed game is eventually good, but a rush game is forever bad. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it, it's it, it's always a bummer when these anticipated games are delayed, but take your time with it. You know, release it when it's done. I will say that uh, Tom Happ, in kind of a, an apology for the delay, did make the 26-minute behind-the-scenes d- uh, documentary of the first game permanently free on steam so you can actually go on steam and download that 26 minute documentary the two player productions did about the making of the first game and ign actually has streaming rights to the youtube version too so you can check that out that's kind of his uh his olive branch after announcing this delay but hey it's done when it's done and we will be here when it is i yeah we definitely will and i can imagine because especially when it comes to stuff like this a an incredibly hyped up indie sophomore effort. If like we only have Axiom Verge really to gauge uh, this right. developer by and this series by. So if Axiom Verge two comes out and it just tanks, then that's probably that developer's entire career right there. And I think he knows it. So he's going to do whatever it takes to make this game successful. I promise you that, and I hope he succeeds there. But just a couple little PSAs real quick coming into the merciful end of this week's news roundup. Uh, If you have the season pass, if you have the expansion pass for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, we did get the first little bit of content for that this past week. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, you got some new outfits, a couple new pieces of armor for Link that you can uh, equip to the Hero of Time. And... That is just the start of the expansion pass. Obviously, they're going to be adding more characters and a lot more content to it throughout the course of the year. But it is still kind of exciting that the that expansion pass has officially kicked off. We both really, really enjoyed Hyrule Wars Age of Calamity. Do go back and check out our review of that game from uh, back in January, I believe. And in addition to that... Ryu and Chun-Li, i.e. the Crimson Hawk Ranger and the Phoenix Blue Ranger, have entered into the battle grid. Power Rangers battle for the grid and their little Street Fighter crossover. That content has released, so both of those characters are now available for download, available to play. And that's those are already insane. I've been playing with them a little bit. One of the really interesting things about those uh, characters is the fact that they actually play like their Marvel versus Capcom versions a lot of the gameplay mechanics in Mm. battle for the grid they have uh very simplified inputs for a lot of the special moves but for ryu and chun li they have their classic moves so you actually have to do the fireball motion you actually have to do the dragon punch motion so they play a little bit differently than the other characters in the game a little bit more like their their marvel versus capcom counterparts instead of having a special move they actually have a launcher more akin to like marvel versus capcom infinite so it's it's Kind of interesting, but there's already some 
stupid people online performing some, you know, 10 digit combos, but uh, such as fighting games, I guess. But even in addition to that, we've got a lot more content to look forward to for one of our top five games of 2020. We're starting to get more and more. Uh, we're starting to get better and better looks at a lot of the new content coming to Streets of Rage just yesterday. Again, we got a new trailer for Mr. X's Nightmare coming soon to Streets of Rage 4. They've already shown off Estelle and Max Thunder, and they just showed off Shiva, who's also going to be coming as a playable character to Streets of Rage 4. Again, it was one of our top five games of 2020. It's a fantastic beat-em-up. We highly recommend you check that out, and we are very hyped for that new campaign and those new characters and we will definitely have to check that out when that happens so i can throw more people off of <laughs> elevators gone 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 gone. <laughs> hey man uh before we wrap up i got a little bit of breaking news here um from the esa themselves literally as we're recording right here right now they released this little like list of their sponsors and people who are working with e3 this year and it's really bizarre because they kind of listed almost like a tier list. There's the top pinnacle sponsors. There's premier sponsors, feature sponsors, elite sponsors, showcase sponsors, and then exhibitors. And there's only two pinnacle sponsors at the top of the tier list, Xbox and Nintendo. And Nintendo. <laughs> so it's going to be an exciting E3, man. There's a Switch lot of Game smoke. Pass confirmed. <laughs> it's gonna be cool, man. I oh man, j j even just seeing that, just uh, I'm like I'm like so hyped for E3. I am too. I, again, it's for all intents and purposes already started. the The amount of information that is just pouring out of the industry right now is almost too much to handle, and I think it's only going to get more and more saturated as we get closer to the official start of the event itself strap in guys it's going to be a very busy next month but what are your guys thoughts on everything that's going on in the world of nintendo right now reach out to us and let us know you can catch us on facebook at all in podcast you can catch us on twitter at all in podcast and while you're at it do please like and subscribe to all in a nintendo podcast on whatever podcasting streaming service you listen to your podcasts on be it soundcloud google play itunes or spotify we genuinely want to thank each and every one of you for hanging out with us each and every saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation namaste but as ridiculous of a week as it has been, somehow the news cycle has not been able to quell the hype around the release of a little indie game from last weekend. We've played it, we loved it, and we definitely wanted to waste no time in covering it in our indie showcase. Our indie showcase this week is Valland Studios' Knockout City. Yes, Knockout City has been a game that we have been playing a lot and a lot together, <laughs> as a matter of fact, as we made yeah. a, an all-in crew in the game and been able to group up and play a lot <laughs> together. So it's been a ton of fun, man. But one thing we should say right out the gate, I know a lot of people, especially as this game fell under the EA Originals banner, may be scratching their heads wondering, hey, is it technically an indie game? What's the deal with that? Well, let me illuminate that a little bit just before we get into the indie showcase proper. Um, Velen Studios is indeed an independent developer, uh, does contract work, even worked on Mario Kart Live Home Circuit for Nintendo, but the EA Originals label that is publishing Knockout City is specifically committed 
two independent games. They worked on games like Lost in Random, recently It Takes Two, Sea of Solitude, Fae, A Way Out, the two Unravel games. So Knockout City, despite the fact that it is published technically by EA, is 100% an indie game. And when you look at it, when you look at the type of game it is, it certainly doesn't feel like an indie game. Typically, these huge online multiplayer experiences, those are the things you see from like Fortnite and Epic Games or Call of Duty and Activision and Treyarch. These aren't studios that you typically think of as independent. But Valand Studios is jumping, is throwing their hat into that arena. And pretty uniquely, I would say, instead of doing some type of shooter or some type of fantasy role-playing battle game, they decided to go with an online multiplayer dodgeball game. Or dodge brawl, as they call it. Dodge brawl. <laughs> I apologize, Velen. Dodge <laughs> brawl. Yeah, the entire point of Knockout City is to dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. That is my obligatory dodgeball underdog story <laughs> joke. I figured I'd go ahead and get that knocked out, pun intended, here at the beginning. There you go. Man, boom, boom. You're on a roll. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it's exactly as fun as most people, I think, would automatically think that is. You take the basic premise of dodgeball, and you just, you know, you kind of bump it up a little bit. You add quite a bit of arcade flair to it. If you've ever played Super Dodgeball from the NES and SNES, uh, yeah, kind of like that, except in 3D. A lot of the, the movement capabilities and a lot of the aesthetics are certainly going to remind people of games like Fortnite and even Splatoon. But the mechanics here are vastly different from both games. Splatoon and Fortnite are, of course, both shooting games. They're both third-person shooters. Whereas, uh, technically, you're playing a third-person game where you are throwing a projectile at opponents but the mechanics make it work in a completely unique and different way and a a very uniquely entertaining way like seth said we've been playing this game quite a bit quite a bit together and the mechanics of just throwing and catching the ball are legitimately so satisfying seth i don't think ever in my life i've had fun in a video game just playing catch with someone (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the game is this like always online connected competitive experience, but yet the kind of hub of the game is in this hideout. The the sort of like, I guess, lore such as, as it is of the game, it takes place in this kind of like future city and you've got this rooftop hideout that you and your crewmates can link up and and kind of mess around in. There's like a training dummy you can practice with, but one of the things you can do is grab a dodgeball and just kind of warm up. So when you and I link up to play together, oftentimes we'll throw the ball back and forth, just kind of warm up and, you know, grease the wheels a little bit and and get used to the mechanics and stuff like that and just kind of do a, do a few rounds. And yeah, I mean, we'll end up sitting there for 15, 20 minutes, just quite literally throwing the ball back and forth to each other. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And one of the cool things is one of the reasons we wind up spending so much time doing that is, uh, there's there's a few, there's not too many base mechanics in the game, but the ones that are implemented are implemented in a really striking manner. And one of the reasons that we right. wind up spending so much time just playing catch is the fact that just like 
as you might imagine with a dodgeball game, you can catch balls that are thrown at you. And uh, that's going to be your biggest defensive mechanic. There is a dash in the game, but catching is probably going to be your biggest defensive mechanic for most people. And if you're able to time your catch well enough, you can charge the ball immediately so that your next shot, if you throw the ball within a pretty quick time frame, your next throw is going to be, it's going to have a lot more energy to it. And it's going to be a, a lot, a lot faster. And that extra speed and that extra charge can stack. So yes. Seth throws the ball at me. I catch it at the right time. It charges up. I throw it back at him. He catches it at the right time, and we just keep going back and forth. I honestly don't know how high the charge can go. I've seen, if you notice it fast enough, when you look at the ball after you develop a charge, you can see a little triangle, like a little arrow that denotes Mm. how many charges it has. And I don't know how how high it goes. The highest I think I've seen is six. But at at that point, it's basically like a bullet. I mean, yeah, it's going so fast. You have to essentially react as quickly as the other person throws in order to catch it. It's, it's so fun. Like, and and you touch on something there that I think is so fundamental to what makes this game work is the, the core of the game is really simple, but none of that would work if the mechanics weren't solid. If it wasn't just fun to throw and catch a dodgeball. And that's something that this game absolutely nails. And it gives it the, it it really strikes the right balance of skill that I think is so important. I, I, when I played this game in beta, I made this comparison and I'll make it again now, but like I played a game like Ninjala, which is a popular free to play competitive multiplayer game, similar to this. And it just like, it, it had this like rock, paper, scissors kind of thing. There wasn't enough skill there. This game, very skill based. Like it's, it's really pitch perfect with that. I I feel like, like if you, it's easy to pick up and understand because it's got a simplistic control style, but very difficult to master. And it bears repeating. We've already mentioned it earlier on in the episode, but it bears repeating that the game is going in to the final day of its free block party availability. So if you haven't tried it, yes, again, If you're listening to this episode, the weekend it comes out, do download the free full version of Knockout City to try it before the block party ends. It's just so, so entertaining. Uh, And I especially like the fact that we've seen so many online multiplayer games over the past, you know, 10, 15 years or so. And it feels like we just got nothing but shooters and MMOs. It feels yeah. like really that's all we got for so long. But now it almost feels like we've hit this renaissance almost of online multiplayer experiences. You've got stuff like Fortnite, which despite, yes, still being a shooter, have really changed up how games like that work, especially with the building mechanic and all the new mechanics that they've continued to add. Games like Fall Guys, Ultimate Knockout have been uh, amazing and totally fun. Games like Among Us, we're seeing so many really unique online multiplayer experiences and this is just another one it's becoming legitimately hard to budget your online time with all of these amazing games that are coming out and i honestly think especially after the game has really settled i really think that knockout city has the potential i don't know if it will but it certainly has the potential to get to that level to get to that 
Fall Guys to get to that Among Us to get to that Fortnite level, like esport almost level. Yeah. Yeah, certainly, because it's got all that baked in stuff. I mean, we talked about how we set up a crew and you can so I mean, you can kind of have like a little clan, so to speak, like in the old Halo two days and uh, and link up with your group and get, you know, extra experience. There's seasons. There's like these they, they, they have all that stuff kind of baked into it. They know exactly what they're doing here. But uh, but again, it, it all just boils down to that easy to learn, difficult to master. I mean, we've already kind of touched on the simplistic throw and catch, you know, throw with the right trigger, catch with the left trigger. That's all well and good. And yes, you can dodge and you can sprint and you can jump and stuff like that. But then you get little wrinkles, like the way you can click in the stick and juke, you know, and, and do kind of like a like a quick like fake out throw. The way you can, you know, uh, curve the ball by jumping in the air and pressing the double jump button in a certain direction. You can kind of curve the ball around and do a side shot or an overhead shot with a different jump. There are these little tiny things that add significant wrinkles to the gameplay that once you learn them, make it so much more satisfying. Yeah, when you hit the right trigger, you can charge up for your shot. And once you let go, you can throw the ball. And if you're close enough to your opponent, you'll lock on to your opponent and the ball will actually track. So if you throw the ball and your opponent is still moving, the ball will continue to home in on your opponent. It's not one of those things where you're constantly going to be missing with your throws. If you've got a lot of open area, you're, you know, you're going to be throwing at your opponent. They're going to have to either uh, dodge out of the way, specifically dodge out of the way, or they're going to have to catch it. So this isn't going to be one of those experiences where everybody finds themselves in a small group. And yet because of the controls, nobody can hit anybody because of the, the terrible aiming. No, <laughs> right. You're, you're going to, you know, as long as there's not a lot of obstruction in your way, you should be able to hit with a normal throw. You charge up your normal throw, you throw it in a straight line. But like Seth was saying, there are a couple different throws. A couple of the face buttons are specifically tied to a twirl mechanic and a front flip mechanic, which can act like double jumps. But right. their main function within the game is to add that type of basically English, to add that type of spin to your throw. So if you're twirling while you release the right trigger, if you're twirling while you throw, instead of doing a straight throw, you will do a long curved throw, like something from Wanted. And that is specifically used, I talk about obstructions, that is specifically used to get around obstructions, to get around horizontal obstructions like pillars. And yes. it is incredibly satisfying to home in on an opponent, to have them duck behind a pillar, and to throw the ball around the corner and bend the ball around the corner and still hit them so anyway, good. even when you can't see them. That is ridiculously satisfying. And then much like the twirl, to get around vertical obstacles, you can also throw, you can also do that front flip, which adds a horizontal kind of top spin to the ball, which is used more to get around, uh, to get around horizontal obstacles. So if you've got an opponent or something who is behind a wall and the best way to get at them would be from the top, then you could conceivably just throw some top English, throw some top spin on there and literally throw the ball over the top of the wall with enough spin to where it drops down and hits them anyway. Both the spin, both the side spin, both the curve shot and the top spin shot are oh, chef's kiss. Oh, so fun to pull off. So fun, so satisfying. But even in addition to that, 
you can press and hold the right bumper to roll around as a ball yourself and become an equipable projectile for your friends, your allies to throw. So they can pick you up when you're doing that, like a like a dodgeball. They can charge also. They can throw you normally, but they can also do a full charge on it. You will then turn into a bomb ball that is shot into the air and then is slowly working its way down to the surface. And when you crash down, you create an area of effect explosion that will knock out anybody in its uh, proximity, which is also very satisfying. And what you'll see often, as soon as the game starts, somebody's turned into a ball, (laughs) you know, to get that little bit of advantage right at the outset. If you can. I mean, you're also throwing your one of your teammates at the opponent. So if the shot hits and it explodes, you better hope it hits something because your teammate is about to be in enemy territory. So Right. But one of the the really interesting things about the game though is so often it, it can get frustrating, but so often a lot of the showdowns, a lot of the face-offs, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the matches can certainly wind down to just two people throwing back the same ball. That's one of the really cool things. That's one of the huge strategic elements that having the 3v3 gives. The 3v3 is going to be your quote-unquote normal game mode. Uh, you do also have 1v1s, but the, the 3v3, I think, is going to be the the default game mode for a lot of people. And yeah. I, I, Seth and I can say from experience, Try to coordinate as much as possible because if you're just in a three-man team and you're just all running around willy-nilly, Seth and I have been absolutely wrecked by some oh, yeah. by some teams that have been coordinating, by some teams that are staying together, protecting each other, both having a ball, because you can very easily if even if you catch a ball, there's still kind of a cooldown. Because even if you're holding a ball, you can still catch a ball but there's still a little bit of a cooldown before you can use that catch mechanic again. And a coordinated attack can very easily take advantage of that to where oh, yeah. one person throws a ball at you. You might catch it, but for a good second, you are completely open to attack from a second person. So you will see a lot of matches that can sometimes boil down to just throwing balls back and forth for a while until somebody just fails to catch it. But very, very quickly in this game's meta, you're going to see coordinated teams start to, you know, rise incredibly fast among the ranks. So if you're trying to play this game, there's already a lot of very good players out there, admittedly. So, you know, definitely, uh, definitely practice. That's what that practice hub is there for. And I would definitely recommend finding a friend or two and trying to make a coordinated team effort maybe if you're good enough we'll let you join the all-in crew (laughs) put you through some through some tryouts and have you join our our little dodge brawl crew (laughs) yeah but it's it's cool so you you know you already mentioned the 3v3 mode is the kind of main mode you do have the face-off mode which is available permanently in the competitive league playlist uh but one thing that is worth notating is that in the street play the kind of more casual fun playlist is uh, the standard 3v3 game mode and then a bunch of rotating game modes that will cycle out every few days or so. So there's kind of a, almost like a King of the Hill game mode that's in there. There's kind of a traditional like headhunter kind of game mode called the, I think it's called Diamond Brawl, where you have to uh, collect diamond resource from the other players and then deposit it before they steal it from you. Um, there, there, 
a handful of different game modes that will cycle in on occasion and they've already said that they're going to be adding more in subsequent seasons of the game. Of course, the game just came out. We're only in season one, but we're already starting to see them add maps and game modes to the game at a, at a steady clip. So this is going to be the kind of thing that Velen has already committed to supporting. And if I've Seth and I have mostly played the 3v3 game modes, but there's certainly going to come a time where you want some variety in your life. And a lot of those extra game modes, I think, they, they might not wind up being new go-to game modes for you, but they'll certainly be able to add some nice variety to the game. There's yeah. one that I haven't been able to try out that I really want to. The main game mode is 3v3, but this game mode is 4v4, and the trade-off to that is there's no actual dodgeballs that spawn in the arena. You can only throw your teammates. So uh, I, that's, that's a mode I really want to try out at some point. That looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. You've got the diamond mode that Seth was talking about. And then I finally get to actually do some 1v1s. There is 1v1 in the game, the showdown, the face-off mode of the game. And uh, it, it puts you on the same maps the same size maps as the 3v3, but much like a lot of Battle Royale games, if there hasn't been a knockout in a little bit of time, the there will be a ring that will start to close in on a specific area of the stage. So you won't just be able to run away from your opponent if you have a two-point lead or something. You won't just be able to run away from your opponent constantly. The map will force you guys to engage. And I do like that. I'm glad right. they did implement that. It seems like there's a lot of really good, smart little decisions in this game. And another smart, good little decision in this game is the lack of pay-to-win options. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, it is so nice to see a game have microtransactions because, you know, it's kind of impossible for a multiplayer game to not have microtransactions. Yes. But in Knockout City, uh, the microtransactions are purely for cosmetic items to get new items for either your customizable crew uh, banner and stuff like that, or the vehicle associated with your crew uh, that again, it's all just purely cosmetic or cosmetic items to use to customize your brawler avatar uh, of which there are, there gotta be dozens of customizable options and things to unlock. And you can earn them with uh, hollow bucks. You can earn that in a, in a traditional unlock path, or of course you can spend some money to get hollow bucks to spend on the shop yourself. So yeah. they're in there, but even, even the narrator of the game says like, he says something to the effect of like, uh, of like, uh, oh, may make you look better, but it's not going to make you better at the game. <laughs> you know, something like that. Once the game comes out properly, obviously we've talked about it. This is the, the final weekend of the free to play period, but the base version yeah. of the game is going to be 20 bucks, which for, yeah. for an experience like this, I think it's fair. I think it's a perfectly fair asking point. Now there are going to be, like we've mentioned, microtransactions in the game. That's just kind of something that we live with now. I still don't necessarily agree with microtransactions, but I, I, I will commend Valen Studios for refusing the temptation to put in more pay-to-win mechanics. And not just that, like Seth said, the, the narrator of the game does specifically tell the player at occasional intervals that, yes, this is all cosmetic stuff. You can spend money on it, but it will only make you look better. It will not make you play better. Yes. Admittedly, though, a lot of the cosmetic stuff is really cool, and I might wind up dropping a couple dollars on <laughs> some of it, but... 
I think that's one of the reasons that I'm drawn to it is because of how bright and vibrant it is and the the street art, the uh, graffiti art aesthetic and the cool like Jet Set Radio DJ that right uh, really helps inject a lot of personality, a lot more personality into the game. Seth, I'm, I'm not super familiar with a lot of this stuff, but you said that they are trying to build on the lore and they are trying to actually do something with the narrative behind this game. I, I really hope so. I mean, they they seem to have... The game's got a really good groundwork. Like, you come in, you immediately get the game visually, what it's doing. It, it, again, it's got this kind of... It, it, it's it's this future city, but it also has kind of a 50s... There's like a, a map called like the Galaxy Burger. So it's like these... It's almost like you're playing as these kids from like a 50s high school. Like a futuristic 50s. Yeah, like like a sci-fi sheen over the whole thing. And and it's really cool. And I could totally see them taking like a Fortnite approach where all of a sudden you've got a comic book series or something like that. Maybe they add some single player content uh, at some point. We talked uh, off mic. I don't really know where they'll take that if they were to do that, but that could be interesting. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I really like the the groundwork they've laid here. I like the world of knockout city. It is a pleasurable world to play in. And I think that's really important too, because if the game just had like a blah aesthetic, it would not stand out nearly as much, but, but knockout city's vibe totally stands out. And, and I think is really something special. And I, I said it before I said it, even when I played the beta, I mean, the, the game is so fun to play. I'm not a huge competitive multiplayer gamer. I played my fair share of Halo in the past, you know, a little bit of Call of Duty here and there, not much. Um, I've gotten really into Splatoon in the past, of course. Oh, yeah. But this game, again, that's kind of my soundbite for this game is this is the most fun I've had with a competitive multiplayer game this side of Splatoon. I mean, it really is. I, I think I think this game has the potential to be that big and that special. Um, if Velen keeps supporting it and if improvements continue to be made and I think that's probably a good opportunity for us to pivot to the one huge negative that there is for this game. Yeah, I just hope they're able to continue to work on this game because this is still an indie game. Velen Studios is still an independent studio. This isn't 500 people all trying to work to make no. this game a success. This is a relatively small team and I, I do hope they continue to find a way to add content to this game like you said, but there is a there are a few issues that really need to be ironed out. And to Valen's credit, the game is crossplay, which is really really cool. However, that might also be contributing to some of the issues because as some as satisfying as the game is and as quick as you're able to get into matches, the the mechanics aren't perfect yet they are not pitch perfect for online play i personally have had some pretty noticeable issues when it comes to lag and just sliding across and basically a considerable amount of things that i don't want to happen have happened i have had i've been halfway through the catching animation and still somehow getting hit i've been halfway through a dodge animation and still somehow getting hit so Within the first week, yes, it's we're, we're reviewing this game within the first week it comes out, and especially in an experience like this coming from an independent studio, I, I would be, I would be almost suspicious if the game didn't have issues like this. But right. to pretend like they didn't exist, 
I think would be disingenuous. Yeah, during this launch period, at least, and and to be completely fair, Velen has been very upfront about it. Uh, I follow them on Twitter, and and they they have been very very good about responding to players' complaints, you know, offering support and putting out patches already. Here, just a week after the game's release, we've already seen a substantial update to the Switch version of the game that, in my case at least, has improved my online connectivity experience quite a bit. I've already noticed that it does seem to be functioning a lot more smoothly. And your mileage may vary if you're playing this game on other platforms. Again, it is completely cross-play. I don't know how that I don't know how that works on other platforms. I don't know how smoothly the online experience is there, but I can only speak for you and I, and you and I have had some significant connectivity issues. We can get into games together just fine. We don't get lagged out of games, but there've definitely been some situations where lag has worked against us actively. (laughs) And um, it, it makes it really frustrating when you're trying to do something specific in the game and you're unable to perform the action because of lag or whatever the case may be. So that, that's something that we just had to stop and talk about. Uh, this is a, a thing that could very well and very likely be worked on in the, in the future. It already is being worked on, but as it stands right now, that, that is kind of our, our big negative drawback for the game we absolutely love the game that's why we're yeah. featuring in the indie showcase it still winds up but, being a ton of fun but i have yelled oh, yeah. into i have yelled into seth's mic a couple times <laughs> definitely definitely we i mean it, it can be really frustrating because like the game itself the core is so good and so special and we love it so much and it's like sometimes it just gets bogged down by connectivity issues. And maybe that is as a result of the crossplay stuff. And it's a small team, just got to iron out some of this stuff. And, and hopefully they do, you know, really soon. But um, still, even in spite of all of that, Knockout City has been such a blast. And I can't wait to see where it goes from here. I can't either. I would certainly be down to see what they would potentially even do with this game single player. I, that, that was one of the things I was talking to you about is one of the things about a lot of the online multiplayer experiences that we've seen is a lot of those were essentially derived from traditionally single player genres like RPGs right. and like first person shooters. So you know, it's, it's really easy to, to take something like that and revert it back into a single player experience, whereas something like this. You, you don't really have ammo. You find the balls, you find the dodgeballs on the arena, and then you use them against your opponents. You have a dash and you have a double jump and you have a glide, but the mechanics of the game really aren't conducive to something like a single player campaign. I'd be down to see what they could potentially do with it, but I don't know. That's just me. I know this game was always meant for online multiplayer, and that's definitely where its focus and its audience is always going to kind of gravitate to. But I just I, I can't help but wonder what a single player campaign in Knockout City might look like. But regardless, I'm still going to try to put as much time into it as possible. There are so many amazing games for us to play. So many more coming out in the near future. But uh, I, I have confidence in Velen Studios. The launch of this game has been extraordinarily successful. That block party idea where they have where. They're giving away the game for free for the first 10 days. So smart. This huge like macro demo. I think, yeah, I think that was such a great decision. And I'm really excited to see what they have in the future. We've already seen uh, several games 
set up a very successful blueprint. I do go back to something like Fortnite. It is very easy to see why and how that game has been such an extended success for so many years. And it's it's really it's a really easy blueprint to follow. I hope Valent Studios is able to do their own thing, but we know how games are able to be successful. And I I just hope Valent Studios decides to do what they need to do to keep this game within people's consciousness over the next few years, because this is such a unique experience, not just for online multiplayer, just in gaming in general. Uh, what we we harp on so often about arcade sports games, and that's technically what this is. It's an arcade sports title. We love titles like Mario Kart and NBA Jam and NFL Blitz and Retromania Wrestling, which we've talked about at length at this show. And this is just an online multiplayer version of games like that. So that may be another one of the reasons that I'm drawn to this title. But regardless, we really think you guys should check it out. And by the way, I, I I just want to shout out the fact that this is an independent studio that has made a hugely successful at launch PvP super unique concept with no play to win or pay to win mechanics, all cosmetic microtransactions. The game is super affordable, even when you do want to buy it. You know, and you get the ten day free trial, which again is still going on through tomorrow at the time this recording goes out, and you guys are listening. So you do have a little bit of time to you know dive in and check out the game, and we recommend you do at least give it a shot during this block party period. But then it's also got these really cool options for you can go into a resolution or a performance mode, and like that's really cool. There's cross play. There's cross progression. I am so impressed. With what Vel, I mean, they really came out swinging with this game. And yeah, I just, I am just so jazzed about it. And I just can't wait to see how far they end up taking it. Well, we'll see how far they end up taking it. It's very, very early on in this game's lifespan, but it has already made a huge, huge impact. So it will be very interesting to see what this game looks like a couple months, a year, a couple years down the road. But what about you guys? Have you guys played Valen Studios Dodgeball Extravaganza Knockout City. If you have, reach out to us and let us know what you thought about it. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us about how many cities you've knocked out. But if you plan on playing it, get your friends, get your crew, get your family together, get your brother together. If you've got a brother, go ahead and make a team and go online with them. Since this past week was <laughs> National Brothers Day, now would be the perfect time to show some love to the bros in your life. And as a matter of fact, we want to do that ourselves right now. That's right. In honor of National Brothers Day, the, the fact that you and I are brothers, we're, we're brothers to some siblings. We count. So we had to we had to shout out our brother's day. <laughs> we uh, It really got us thinking. We, we had to count down the best brothers in Nintendo games in this week's top five. Now I know what you guys are thinking. Seth, Eric, you're doing a Brother's Day top five. We already know what your number one's going to be. It's got to be the Super Mario Brothers themselves, Mario and Luigi. Well, we decided to take a different approach. Now, obviously, we have to acknowledge, we have to stop and acknowledge the you know 35-year history at this point of the Super Mario Brothers. No disrespect meant to Mario and Luigi. We love Mario and Luigi here, don't we, Eric? 
Uh, I'm actually kind of partial to the taller green brother myself. I can do without his shorter red <laughs> variant, but uh, I, I don't completely dislike Mario, you know, but I'm a Luigi guy myself. Super Luigi bros for life. Kitsune leaf for life. <laughs> I'm in agreement there. I mean, Luigi certainly has the more personality, you know, out of the two, but let, let's be honest with ourselves, guys. We've talked about this on the show before. We love the Mario games. They are not like, you know, deeply rooted in lore and character relationships or anything like that. A classic pair of brothers, certainly with a lot of important history you know, important Nintendo characters. But if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, we thought bringing this Brothers Day top five, it's like, let's talk about the brothers in Nintendo history that actually mean like like real things to real brotherly relationships. So that was kind of our approach going into this. That's why you're not going to see Mario and Luigi necessarily in our respective top fives. No, you can consider them for all intents and purposes, entry number zero. We'll count down from five to one, but you can effectively count the iconic Super Mario Brothers as our entry number zero in this top five brothers list. Absolutely. Well, let's get this list started, man, with all that out of the way. My number five is the skeletal duo from Snowden in Undertale, Papyrus and Sands. Ah, Papyrus and Sans. Yes. <laughs> now, anybody who's played Undertale certainly knows the you know amazing cast of colorful characters, and even among them, Papyrus and Sans stand out uh, <laughs> just because of their dynamic together—a great you know brotherly dynamic—and Sans being the kind of like lazy, aloof, pun-making brother, Papyrus being the adorably self-serious comically over achieving <laughs> yes exactly and i i love their little their little dynamic there but there's there's love there at the end of the day and both of the characters on their own are great but together they just make for a really good character dynamic in that game total standout characters i love i could go on and on about individual character moments but when papyrus and sans are on screen together they're they're phenomenal. Even just their names, even just like their their names and their their dialogue text being in Comic Sans and Papyrus, just like the the two most awful, <laughs> you know, fonts that exist. They 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 weirdly go together like peanut butter and chocolate. So, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to brothers, I had to shout them out. Yeah, Papyrus and Sands were one of the biggest reasons I decided to do a follow-up playthrough of Undertale after I'd beaten it the first time because yeah. like a, like the terrible terrible human being that I am, Papyrus may not have made it that far oh. in my first playthrough. You went genocide first playthrough? I didn't go genocide, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it was fighting me. I had to fight back. But yeah. after getting to the end and realizing and really understanding the whole mercy aspect of right. the game, Papyrus and Sands were one of the biggest reasons. I was like, I got to see what more these guys have to offer because just in the first, like in their main section where they're the main yeah. focus, they, oh man, they stand out so beautifully. And especially with it being a relatively early section in the game, you go from an incredibly heartfelt section to an incredibly funny, entertaining section. And oh man, they were so, so great. 
So that was that was one of the biggest reasons that I decided to go back through and replay Undertale. It's like I've got to see what these guys have to offer. That that's that's clearly not it. And it certainly pays off for you when you do. So <laughs> Well, starting off my top five at number five is a group of brothers that are frankly iconic. I'm talking about Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Leonardo, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course, made famous by the comic books from Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, and mega famous by the 1980s and 90s cartoons, especially in the early 90s, the Turtles were one of the biggest licensed video game properties on the planet. I mean, yeah. You had that ridiculously hard NES game where, I mean, that'll test your brotherly love right there, trying to swim through that damn stage. (laughs) Man. Yeah, that's fair. But even beyond that ridiculously hard, that famously hard game, there were some incredible arcade games that starred the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There was, as a matter of fact, the arcade game got a really good port on the original Nintendo as well. Definitely check out the arcade game, that arcade game. Definitely check out the the NES port. However, when it comes to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh, also Tournament Fighters. Tournament Fighters was really cool. It was kind of jank, but Tournament Fighters was really, really cool. But when most people think about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and video games, they, of course, think about TMNT4, Turtles in Time. Of course. Prior to 2010, probably the greatest beat-em-up ever released. The game is phenomenal. And the arcade machine even had four stations there. So you could have your entire family, you and all your brothers, sitting around the arcade console playing all four of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going to kick Shredder's shell. Ah, it was so great. Talk about family bonding time. I had, there's so much fun to be had. And of course, again, they're number five on my list because they were made famous outside of the world of video games. But in the early 90s, uh, it was... The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise was basically like the Batman Arkham series is now. It was the pinnacle of licensed video gaming, and I cannot wait. I absolutely cannot wait for the new game coming later on this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, between all of that, between everything from the past games back on NES and Shredder's Revenge coming out later this year, I mean, the Turtles have got a, a deep-rooted Nintendo history. And uh, shout out to the fact that this past Sunday was World Turtle Day. So, <laughs> yeah, it was. So I respect yeah, this, that. This past Sunday was World Turtle Day. So there you go. A little, little bit of a, a relevancy there. Yeah, I respect that, man. I uh, the, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are a huge part of, I think, all of our lives. People our age, I mean, we grew up with the Turtles. So And, and they've been there throughout Nintendo history as well. And it's cool to see them still relevant today. Uh, But going into my number four, it was important to me that I specifically covered the older brother relationship on Mm. my list, looking up to an older brother. Now, this is not something that I can personally relate to. Um, I am the eldest of many, many younger siblings, so I have never had an older brother figure necessarily, but Leon and Pokemon Sword and Shield totally fills that slot. <laughs> I respect that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's gotta be my number four, man. Leon, of course, being the older brother of hop, your 
quasi not really rival <laughs> in uh in Pokemon Sword and Shield and you just from the very beginning of that game you're introduced to that character and he's really put up on a pedestal he is a champion of the Galar region and everybody's gathering around to welcome him everybody looks up to him and he's not a lot of times when you have this kind of like older brother trope the character's kind of a jerk or something like that but Leon's a legitimately good dude and he he loves his brother and and he you know he is compassionate and kind despite the fact that he's a champion and I don't know I I just really like him as a character I like his Charizard of course his Charizard's pretty mean in the uh, in the battle tower. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool G uh, G Max Charizard. Yeah, it is. But yeah, he just he's got great moments throughout the story of Pokemon Sword and Shield. He of course has a presence in the anime, um, and I just I, I just think he's a great character. And I I don't care what anybody says. I really really like Pokemon Sword and Shield. Just, I love it. it. Just in general, it's great, and and the characters are great, and and Leon is certainly no exception. So for that older brother role. For my number four, shout out to Leon from Pokemon Sword and Shield. Nice. Well, for my number four, I'm going with a family that I believe is one of the most underrated families of characters in video games. They have been around since almost the beginning of the industry, and they're still releasing games to this day. I am talking about the Bomberman Bros. Oh, man. That's such a good pull. Yes. <laughs> Bomber white, bomber black, bomber red, bomber blue, bomber green, bomber pink, bomber aqua, bomber yellow. The eight Bomberman bros and a couple Bomber sisters. But uh, as a matter of fact, back in 1994, Bomberman 1994 was when they first kind of differentiated between the colors. That classic design of the white Bomberman that I'm sure a lot of gamers of a certain age remember from the NES Bomberman was the you know basis for the design of Bomber White. And then with Bomberman 94, they decided to branch off and make a little family. They had five Bomberman bros. You had black, white, green, and blue who were added to the fold. And then they've just continued to add over to the family. But these adorable characters from Konami who are out trying to save the world, this wonderfully adorable family who attacks by throwing down massive explosive devices in front of their chibi enemies. I, I, <laughs> I have no clue how Konami made that work, but it does. But Super Bomberman R was even a launch title for the Nintendo Switch. The game practically doubled in size with free content. But I just, I do really like the dynamic, especially between the Bomberman bros. We're, start, we're talking about these entries in terms of being the best brothers. And... I just, the, the relatability to the dynamic between the Bomberman bros is just so great because they all have their own uh, personalities, obviously, but they're a little bit extra, essentially. Bomberman yeah. White, Bomber White is all all about trying to beat the bad guy and about, you know, justice and everything like that. And he's, he's always trying to inspire and he's always trying to light a fire under his fellow Bomberman bros, but they're, most of the time, they just don't seem to care. They're just... Oh, you're going over there to do that, Bomber White? Uh, well, we got nothing else to do. I guess we'll go with you. It just <laughs> So many of them don't even really seem to care. They're just so happy off doing their own thing, and they just accidentally save the day in the meantime. It's, it's so great. It's so funny. 
But if you haven't checked out Super Bomberman R on the Nintendo Switch, I, I urge you to. There's something very timeless about that Bomberman gameplay. I still go back to it from time to time myself. It's just a ton of fun. And the Bomberman bros are a big part of my enjoyment out of that game. I still very much enjoy playing through the story mode chapters in that game and seeing the interactions between the different bomber siblings. I love that. That's a great game, man. Super Bomberman R is, is a pretty underrated Switch title. Like in terms of the launch titles for the Switch, of course, everybody's playing Zelda. But in terms of launch titles, Super Bomberman R was was really a standout. That's uh, a great pick. For, for my number three, I'm actually kind of following suit with another older character in terms of video game history, because my number three is Proto Man. Now, I love the character of Proto Man. We, we've talked about Proto Man a couple of times on the show, notably when we did our Mega Man 3 retrospective last with September. Ash. With Ash, yeah, our good friend yeah. Ash from Good Vibes Gaming. That was a great retrospective. And uh, we, we definitely shared our love for Proto Man on that episode. But uh, Proto Man's just a great character in general. I like a character with a good weakness just overall. Um, and he's he's definitely like the edgy, you know, kind of like edgelord character in Mega Man lore, especially when you look into his backstory and, you know, the comic series and stuff like that. However, we love Proto Man and especially his role in Mega Man 3 is what I want to shout out in particular because uh-huh. that was his first introduction really in the games and we didn't get a strong sense we talked about this in our retrospective but we didn't get a strong sense of that game's story but Proto Man pops up famously to fight Mega Man in several of the stages in the game and I mean, spoiler alert for a 30 plus year old game at this point, but he ends up saving Mega Man's life at the end of the game. And it when you start to realize who Proto Man was and that he is ostensibly Mega Man's brother, it, it gives this emotional weight to a game that had otherwise no real story. I mean, Proto Man kind of saves that game in a lot of ways for me. And I mean, the game itself is amazing from a gameplay perspective and stuff, but just that one inclusion, just that one brotherly relationship takes a great base and just puts this layer on it and makes it something amazing. And that's ultimately a huge part of why Mega Man 3 is my favorite of the classic Mega Man games. So, I mean, I mean, Proto Man lifts so much of that, uh, so much of that weight for me. And I just, I just had to shout him out. <laughs> I, I Proto Man's such an iconic character. That whole trope of the anti-hero version of the main Goody Two Shoes character, yeah, is not. I mean, not just a video game trope. It's basically the everywhere Racer X. in yeah. media. Yeah, the Racer X, the Vegeta, the Knuckles. Right. Uh, but I was about, actually, ironically enough, I was about to say Zero. No, but Proto Man is <laughs> is. Easily one of the most iconic versions of that trope in video game form. And there's a version of Proto Man in just about every series of Mega Man that we've ever had talking about right. Zero, talking about Proto Man.exe, talking about Model Z or Model ZX from the Mega Man ZX franchise, which I will, you know, sing the praises of until I die. It's one of the most underrated game series of all time. But yeah. Proto Man, Mega Man, classic, robo, sci-fi, 
robot blasting brothers. I mean, that's that's what brothers do, right? That's normal. <laughs> totally normal. Yeah. I mean, when you get to the end of Mega Man 3, I mean, it it legitimately is emotional for me. I still get a little misty when I get to the end of Mega Man 3. And and it's all about that brotherly relationship, man. That that when when Proto Man kind of realizes who he is and, and what he's meant to do. I just uh I love it. What a great character. I respect that. Now for my number three, I'm actually going with, uh, you You know, the relationship between Mega Man and Proto Man can be a little contentious sometimes. It can be, but I don't know if it's got anything on my number three in the relationship these brothers have evolved into. My number three is actually Bihan and Kui Liang, otherwise known ah. as... Sub-Zero and Sub-Zero 2, otherwise known as Sub-Zero and Noob Saibot. So Bihan showed up as Sub-Zero in the first Mortal Kombat tournament and was swiftly killed by Scorpion, a Netherrealm Spectre who believed that Sub-Zero had murdered his clan. Wrongfully thought that Sub-Zero had murdered his clan and... After Bihan's death, Bihan's younger brother, Kwai Liang, took up the Sub-Zero mantle and decided to try to hunt down this devious Netherrealm Spectre ninja in honor of his late older brother. So much, so much of the lore, so much of the story of Mortal Kombat, so much of the blood rivalry that has defined one of the greatest fighting game franchises, one of the greatest franchises in video game history came out of essentially this brotherly love, this brotherly bond initially shared by Bihan and Kwai Liang by the two men who would be Sub-Zero. Kwai Liang did most everything he did for years out of respect, out of loyalty, out of love for his older brother. Now, ultimately, Kwai Liang would find out that his older brother did, in some weird way, go on. Death is kind of a weird thing in the Mortal Kombat franchise. Netherrealm is just <laughs> another realm that many people can just seemingly go to at will, go to and from at will. But Bihan, the original Sub-Zero, eventually came back as Quan Chi's shadow puppet, Noob Saibot. And then the dichotomy, then the relationship, then the dynamic between Bihan and Kwai Liang became a lot more complicated. Bihan was pure evil and constantly trying to help the bad guys in the Mortal Kombat universe do whatever bad thing the bad guys were up to. Whether it be trying to conquer the world, whether it be trying to merge the realms, whether it be trying to create a new age, you know, whatever Kronika was up to. But now, Kwai Liang is kind of torn between trying to defeat and I guess re-kill his brother and trying to save him. So <laughs> just a, a really interesting dynamic that has evolved quite a bit over the years. But yeah, I mean, you can just really tell that there's still so much love and respect, maybe a lot of bad vibes, maybe a lot of hatred and a lot of murderous intent going on. But at the end of the day, they are still brothers. And if Sub-Zero of Kwai Liang had the ability to save his brother, he would absolutely take that option but again just because so much of the story so much of the lore behind mortal Kombat is sees this brotherly connection between bihan and kui liang at its core i had to put them on my list i love it I, I, that's a great pick i i think we're really on the same page with that 
because when I'm talking about my number two, it's a similar situation, but maybe even more contentious, maybe even more antagonistic because my number two is King Ollie, the origami king from Paper Mario, the origami king. (laughs) Now, I've got to make the case for King Ollie because I think most people hearing that as my number two is are going to scratch their heads and say, well, hang on, he's the bad guy of that game. But playing off of what you were just talking about with Sub-Zero and Noob Saibot, that it's a very similar situation where, you know, Olivia and Ollie's relationship is very much like she feels like she has to undo her brother's wrongs, save her brother. She knows there's good in him, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. When you get to the end of Origami King, I'm not I'm going to dance around spoilers a little bit. I know the game's been out for almost a year now somehow, but you get to the end of Origami King and Ollie does realize the error of his ways. And there's a moment between the two of them that they share that's really shockingly tender. And he does something that is completely against his character and really shows what his true heart is. And does an act of love to his sister, Olivia, that I think just really elevates him. And and he acknowledges all the bad things that he did. And Olivia's repayment of that action in turn. And the thing that she does to go tit for tat with Ollie's actions, um, I think just creates a pretty beautiful wrinkle or fold, if you will. To Olivia and Ollie's relationship. So despite all the bad things that he did and the folded soldiers and the, all the events and the nastiness that he did in paper Mario, the origami King, the relationship that he has with Olivia, which is the whole reason she's along for that adventure and the way it ends up, I think completely turns it into a very shockingly heartfelt brother and sister relationship. So when it comes to Nintendo brothers, I had to shout out King Ollie. You know what? Fair enough. I respect that. I wouldn't have put him (laughs) on my top five, but I respect that. Well, going into my number two, I've already talked about one beat em up already with Ninja Turtles four turtles in time. However, there was another brotherly duo out there that. I had to give a second beat-em-up slot on my list too. And if you don't already know what I'm talking about, then you you sweet young child. <laughs> you sweet summer child. Gamers of a certain age probably already heard me talk about two brothers and beat-em-up, and their mind automatically went to Billy and Jimmy Lee, the double oh, yeah. dragon. Classic, man. I don't think they're canonically twins, but they might as well be. But in the Double Dragon series, Billy and Jimmy Lee, the two main characters, uh, in the first one at least, uh, one of the brother's girlfriends, there's no telling which one, one of the brother's girlfriends actually gets punched in the gut, gets knocked out by the bad guys and kidnapped, and they go on an adventure to save her. They do beat up quite a few women along the way, ironically enough. That's fair, yeah. But one of the things that really made me want to put them on my list is the fact that at the end of Double Dragon, after you beat the final boss and you're there, 
you really think the game's over. But if you're playing, if both of the brothers are playing at the same time, the game actually puts the two brothers against each other right. to see who gets to go off with the girl, to see who gets the girl <laughs> at the end. And the the reason I love that so much is because in the very next game, they're cool again. They're off. They got each other's backs. They're going on another adventure. They're trying to save whoever. But I just kind of respect the fact that they can, you know, after everything that's happened to them, they said, you know what? Best man wins. Okay. You know, like loser buys, basically. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Be- <laughs> because they know at the end, like whoever lost, like, you know what, bro? I got you next time. It really doesn't come off as if they're stabbing each other in the back over a girl. It just comes off no. as this this almost cute brotherly rivalry. Like they've beaten up everybody else in the city. The only worthy opponents they have are each other. And just whoever loses, loses. And I got you next time, bro. I'll catch you. I'll catch you next time with that right hook. But Double Dragon Neon came out on the Nintendo Switch. I think we just got Double Dragon 6. On the Nintendo Switch, there's actually been a little bit of a Double Dragon revival over the past couple years. It's been very nice to see. Yeah, Double Dragon Neon, by way forward, uh, Adam Tierney, we talked with him uh, a little bit about that back in January. Do check out our interview with Adam Tierney from way forward. But yeah, Billy, Jimmy Lee, just an absolutely iconic. Iconic gets overused. I really think the word iconic gets overused quite a bit, but... I really think Billy and Jimmy Lee do deserve that moniker. Not only do they have their own full beat up franchise, but they actually got a full, a terrible, but a full feature length movie adaptation. They did. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh man, it's so bad, but it's, it's one of those so bad. It's good. I think it's one of those so bad. It's good. Kind of like the old super Mario brothers movie from 1993. Sure. We, we talked about before, but not only did they get a, terrible b-grade full-length feature uh, full-length feature film but they also got a full multi-season tv show an old saturday morning cartoon where they had these weird like mecha suit transformations and they got their whole team it was this whole thing it was very power rangers wow. meets yeah it was it was amazing definitely check out the double dragon cartoon from the early 90s if you haven't it's like Power Rangers meets Jackie Chan Adventures, essentially. It was so cheesy and so bad, but again, Double Dragon was just that iconic. So I, I really had to put Billy and Jimmy Lee here at my number two. Before we get into our respective number ones, got any honorable mentions? I do have a couple. I definitely wanted to mention some fighting games on my list. And of course, I've already mentioned Mortal Kombat, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Terry and Andy Bogard, the adopted sons Mm. of Jeff Bogard from the King of Fighters franchise, who often find themselves on teams in the King of Fighters series. So Andy and Terry Bogard. Terry is one of my favorite fighting game characters of all time. Andy, not so much, but they definitely do have a very cordial brotherly relationship. And I had to shout those guys out. I also wanted to shout out a couple brothers from a game that we just recently did an indie showcase on. It doesn't have a very high profile, but there is a great, very interesting brother versus brother story going on in Save Me Mr. Taco Definitive Edition between the main player character, Mr. Taco, and his brother, Paco. Yep, good pull. And I also definitely want to shout out 
Dante and Virgil. Devil May Cry 1, 2, and 3 are currently available on the Nintendo Switch, but it felt a little disingenuous putting them on a top Nintendo Brothers list because they are still so identified with other consoles. Devil May Cry series has much more famously been released on PlayStation and Xbox platforms. But technically they would have qualified for this list, but just because they are so much more famously tied to other consoles, I didn't want to put them in my top five, but they are definitely worthy of a shout out because man, talk about family drama between brothers. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to shout out an honorable mention here that maybe even more dramatic and that's solid and liquid snake from the Metal Gear Solid series. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, that that Twin Snakes port of the first game for GameCube is a fairly iconic GameCube game. Basically a, a remake, essentially, of the first Metal Gear Solid game. Uh, full, like, 3D and, and, like, redone voice acting and stuff. It's, it's a really great uh, way to play that game. And it's called the Twin Snakes. It is literally referring to Solid and Liquid Snake. So... Uh, shout out to them for sure. I uh, wanted to shout out Bub and Bob, the adorable protagonists <laughs> from the Bubble Bobble series. Bubble Bobble. Love some Bubble Bobble, man. Gotta shout out Bubble Bobble. But uh, may- maybe the biggest one, like may- maybe the one that for me, I was like, ah, oh, I've got to shout them out in some way. The perfect honorable mention, Timmy and Tommy, the Nooklings from Animal Crossing. <laughs> I mean... How many times do we, have we interacted with them and bought and sold stuff from them just in the past year alone? <laughs> you know, it's so weird. I don't even think of them as brothers just because there's so much the same character. They literally finish each other's sentences constantly in the game. But even that's kind of cute, though, because the younger one, Timmy or Tommy, whichever one's the younger one, is like repeating, exactly. you know, <laughs> <laughs> he he kind of like finishes the sentence or kind of like repeats the last words of his older brother's sentence. You know, it's kind of adorable. Welcome to Nook's Cranny. Cranny. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. My, my nephews basically do that. You know, the, the younger brother always looks up to the older brother like that. So <laughs> had to shout out the Nooklings, man. I mean, we've, we've all spent so much time with them over the past year at New Horizons. Mm-hmm. But um, getting into my number one, I I really could go no other way than to shout out for our Brother's Day top five. My number one had to be from the video game literally called Brothers. The Brothers from Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, who apparently are named Nai and Naya. (laughs) Right? I had no idea that these characters had names because that game is told essentially in like pantomime. There's like a fictional language that they speak and most of it though is is told through pantomime with gestures and expression and stuff like that but brothers a tale of two sons is a beautiful game uh developed by starbreeze actually who went on to become hazelight you guys know them now for their most recent releases it takes two they also did a way out and stuff like that but uh this was kind of their debut game from that team led by joseph Fares and Man, it's just this beautiful story about these two young brothers who go out on this journey looking for a cure to their father's illness. And the big gimmick with this game is that both brothers are actually controlled at the same time, one brother tied to one thumbstick. So you're literally controlling both at the same time throughout the entirety of the game. And 
they get so much mileage out of this through the puzzle solving. I mean, the game itself, I mean, we really have got to do an indie showcase on it eventually uh, because it, it's on the Nintendo Switch eShop, of course. And it's just such a beautiful story. And the journey that these two brothers go on and the lengths they go to, it just, I, I wouldn't dare spoil the events of the game because you all really need to play it. But I, my goodness, it, it's just, it's, it, it will rip your heart out. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. It's, it's a fun adventure and it's just a wonderful, wonderful indie game. And that relationship is just so special. And I really couldn't think of a better thing to put at my number one. Yeah. Brothers, is, it certainly got a lot of publicity when it first came out. It was a very unique and interesting title. And I actually went a very similar route with my number one. My number one is also an indie game. Although instead of being called Brothers, the title of my number one is actually the two brothers' names. It's a game we did an indie Mm. showcase on way, way back, I think in September of last year. And it's an incredibly underrated title. Not nearly enough people have played it. It's a short, a adorable story between the love that two brothers share my number one is takeshi and hiroshi oh man what an awesome pull that is man what like that is such a that that game is underrated yes for sure i really really did like that game definitely go back and check out our indie showcase but what a great brotherly relationship between takeshi and hiroshi And like I said, the game itself is incredibly unique. It's essentially a reverse RPG, if that makes any sense. It's told through these adorable stop-motion claymation uh, cutscenes, which, when was the last time you saw somebody do stop-motion claymation? Yeah. But it's so adorable. But the entire story behind it is Takeshi is the older brother of Hiroshi, and they even say toward the beginning that their father had died a couple of years ago, and Takeshi was, he had basically tried to fill that father role. He really felt like it was his job to take care of his younger brother, and Takeshi is also a 14-year-old budding game designer, and his younger brother just looks up to him, just absolutely thinks the world of him and wants nothing more than to be the first person to play his big brother's new game, Mighty Warrior. And the entire crux of the gameplay is technically Hiroshi playing through Mighty Warrior, but you are playing as Takeshi putting just enough obstacles in your little brother's way so that he really gets the most enjoyment out of the game. For Hiroshi, I am the game. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everything that he does, the entire the entire narrative through line, the entire crux of the entire story is that Takeshi is doing all of this for his younger brother Hiroshi. Everything that happens in the game happens because Takeshi is trying to do something to make his younger brother smile. It's incredibly heartwarming. Again, it's incredibly unique experience. It's very inexpensive. If you haven't tried it out, do try it out. It's one of the most heartwarming, adorable, brotherly stories that I've ever seen in any medium. It's incredibly underrated. Again, not nearly enough people have played it. It's also, if you have Apple Arcade or iOS, it is available on Apple Arcade and iOS. But I I love playing this thing on the Nintendo Switch. It's it's just so it makes your heart smile. It really does. And 
at the end of the day, I didn't think that anything else aside from something like that could top my list. Yeah, that's such a great pull, man. That That's like a mic drop of a pull because I think <laughs> so many people slept on Takeshi and Hiroshi, but it really is like for, for exactly what we're talking about. I mean, those two games that we each had at our number ones between brothers and Takeshi and Hiroshi, I cannot point to you. I mean, that's the reason they're at our number one spots. I can't point to you better representations of brotherly love in video games, not even just Nintendo in video games, period. So I, I mean, definitely both of those games, you got to seek them out. And, uh, and yeah, Takeshi and Hiroshi is a great pull, man. I really like that game. You're making me want to replay it. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually have to replay it after we're done with this episode today. It's, it's so good. It's not very long at all. It's only a couple no. hours long, but it is absolutely worth playing through. In my opinion, it's so good. And like we said, our honorable number zero pick, the iconic, the legendary, the one and only, the Super Mario Brothers, Mario and Luigi at our number zero pick. We, I mean, we had to mention them. We had to talk about them a little of bit, but, but they were not the stars today. But are they the stars on your top five greatest brothers in Nintendo history? Or do you think there is actually a better pair Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and let us know who you think are the greatest brothers in the history of the Big N. But honestly, and I'm, I'm honestly not just saying this for a segue, but I was, I really looked at the Sonic series to to throw because from my childhood brain, there's some part of my childhood brain that remembered that somehow Sonic and Knuckles were somehow brothers. I don't know, maybe just too much playing Mega Man and seeing Mega <laughs> Man and Proto Man as brothers. I don't know if that bled into playing the Sonic series, but it, it kind of, it was kind of one of those moments where like my life is a lie to find out despite the fact that Sonic and Knuckles were completely different species, Sonic Force being a hedgehog and Knuckles being an echidna. I, I was still kind of surprised like, oh cool, they're not related at all whatsoever. Yeah, I could see that. And I do think that there's that kind of Mandela effect for a few characters when it comes to brothers, but I don't know. I think a lot of us have very fond and sometimes very weird memories of Sonic. And of course, you know, we certainly have a ton of reasons to talk about Sonic from this past week. We got the Sonic mm -hmm. 30th anniversary presentation, the first, specifically the first Sonic Central. So on our Nintendo podcast, let's talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. Sega! Eric, say it isn't so Sonic. Sonic the Hedgehog on a Nintendo podcast. How how can we do this? And I, I think a lot of our younger listeners are probably just wondering why Seth was saying that sarcastically. <laughs> but a, a lot of gamers of a certain age, you think of Sonic and you immediately think of Sega and the console war that Sega yeah. and Nintendo had. You could very easily make the argument now that PlayStation has been a much bigger rival to Nintendo that say, than Sega ever was. But for a ton of gamers that are 25 years and older, if you think of a rival for Nintendo, if you think who is the antithesis, who was the arch rival to Nintendo, Sega has to immediately come to mind for a ton of people. And seeing Sonic on a Nintendo console for some gamers is still kind of weird. 
it's still kind of weird to see that. I've gotten used to it because <laughs> as of this December, it's weird to think, but as of this December, Sonic is going to celebrate his 20th anniversary on Nintendo consoles. At this point, he's been on pretty considerably more games on Nintendo consoles than he ever was on Sega consoles. He has been, he lived on Sega consoles exclusively from 1991 to 2001, dying with the Dreamcast. So a good decade on Sega exclusive platforms, but the 20 years since he's been playing ball with Mario, which considering that two thirds of Sonic's history has been as an ally of Mario, it's still weird for us to see. It's still kind of like, what? It really is. I mean, that that was, we actually were having a conversation about this where it was like, there's so many people like us, you know, for me, it is still really weird. I mean, that's why it was such a big deal when Sonic made it into Smash Brothers Brawl. Oh right? yeah. Like that was the mic drop moment for that game. Yeah, totally. And and that's why, because of all of that history, Genesis does what Nintendo don't, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was so much bad blood back then, but it is kind of crazy to think because you're right for two thirds of Sonic's now 30 year history that bad blood has kind of been squashed. You know, we've seen plenty of Sonic games on Nintendo platforms and we're certainly going to get into Sonic central here in just a second, but almost everything shown during Sonic central is going to be available on the Nintendo switch in some way or another. So I, I mean, we kind of have to divorce ourselves from that at this point. I feel like, I mean, there's, there are people who are in our age group that will never really forget how heated that rivalry was. That was the console war for years. I, I mean, the, the Sega and Nintendo rivalry is where the term console war comes from. And like, like that's just a thing. Like that, that's something that we're never going to forget. And as a result, yeah, there's a part of me that feels weird. Like talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, on a Nintendo podcast, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's like, guys, Sonic's been more affiliated with Nintendo than he was Sega hardware. And, you know, moreover, Sega got out of the hardware game. Like, yeah. in that sense, in the console war sense, they lost. They admitted defeat and they said, hey, we're just going to make games. And that's okay. You know, like, we we kind of have to come down from our pedestal every now and then because... I I think this Sonic Central kind of showed us that in a lot of ways, Sega's doing some things that Nintendo could maybe take a page out of their book on even. And um, I don't know. I was really impressed with this, and, and I'm excited to talk about it. It's going to be weird to think that next year we'll actually be able to share adult beverages with people that have never known a world where Sonic wasn't on Nintendo consoles. So right in that spirit, let's rise a glass to the blue blur Happy 30th anniversary to Sonic the Hedgehog. And let's talk about the first ever Sonic Central direct broadcast. Now, just right off the bat, this felt to me kind of like the Mario 35th anniversary direct from last year. This wasn't just, hey, it's an anniversary. Cool. They seem to have a lot of stuff planned. And we got a ton of teases of a lot of that stuff. But one of the things that I think honestly surprised me most 
was the very first thing that they announced was something that I know you're going to wind up being excited for, Mr. Music Guy, is this Sonic the Hedgehog virtual concert coming at the end of next month. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Dude, they're, they're going to have Crush 40 there. So, I mean, that, like, <laughs> I'm down for that. <laughs> you know, of course I'm down for that. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's going to be great. I The music of Sonic is undeniably awesome. But, I mean, even beyond that, like, the, the, the merchandise, mm-hmm. the Sonic bling... <laughs> I mean, they're really going all out. And to to speak on what you just said for a second, not only did this feel like this felt like such a Nintendo Direct, like this literally felt like somebody at Sega was like, like they, they showed somebody a Nintendo Direct and just said, hey, make that, but with Sonic. Like the structure of it was very similar to a Nintendo Direct. Yeah. Yeah, they made the most out of their 12 and a half minute runtime. It didn't feel like 12 minutes. It honestly felt like 20 with how much stuff we were getting. We didn't get a lot of in-depth details, but we're, there were certainly a lot to whet our appetite for the next year. Yeah, it was it was cool, man. It, it, again, just rapid fire, a bunch of stuff, a bunch of really cool stuff. If you're a Sonic fan, I think a lot to be happy about. It was kind of weird. I, I've been seeing some discourse on Twitter of folks that, weren't impressed with this. And I don't know if it's because people came into this wanting, you know, Sonic adventure three or whatever, but I, I came away from this so happy with some of the stuff we got now to be fair. Yeah. They, they kicked us off with some of these like merchandise things, the virtual symphony and stuff like this. But when we started to get into the game stuff, admittedly, they did start us off at a weird place. Yeah, it was so, so bizarre. Despite the fact that Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games 2020 has already come out, apparently Sonic is not done with the 2020 Olympic Games. They're still releasing a video game for the Tokyo 2020 Games, and Sonic is going to be a playable character technically in this game. It's bizarre for the fact that the Tokyo 2020 Olympic video game is more of a simulation. There still certainly seem to be some arcade elements to the game, but compared to something like Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, it really seems like it's much more of a simulator type game. So to see Sonic the Hedgehog within that context just looks bizarre. It's it's not even just Sonic the Hedgehog. It's like a dude in a Sonic the Hedgehog costume. Yeah. It's so weird so weird (laughs) but sonic is going to have a really interesting distinction in video game history he is going to be featured in multiple games for a real world contest that never actually occurred yeah that's actually true wow what a crazy thing to think about (laughs) but sonic at the tokyo 2020 games on it probably wasn't even the weirdest cross promotion that they announced at this first ever Sonic Central. They the game called Two Points Hospital, which came out under just about everybody's radar. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, literally. it came out under everybody's radar, but it's getting it seems to be a very substantial crossover with Sonic for Sonic's 30th anniversary. They seem to be adding quite a few Sonic themed items to this hospital simulator. I don't I really am not familiar with the game. I don't know exactly what the gameplay all entails. It almost looks like a some kind of weird Sims, but for hospitals. Right. And you're adding 
skins for Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles, it looks like they're actually adding arcade machines. I don't know how interactive those are going to be, but it looks like there's even Sonic statues and rugs, and it seems like there's quite a few Sonic the Hedgehog-themed items you'll be able to deck out your Two Points Hospital with. I mean, good for Two Points Hospital. That game immediately, I'm sure, shot up a lot of people's, oh, that game exists, lists. I mean, hey, it, it made me at least aware of the game for better or for worse. I mean, it's a, it's a bizarre crossover, but you, you got to wonder how these kind of crossovers happen. Uh, but I got to admit, though, one thing that was really cool, and this is not a Nintendo, this is actually, I think, the only game in the entire presentation that is not available in some way or another on Nintendo platforms, mm-hmm. but... They showed that in the upcoming Lost Judgment, which is the sequel to Judgment, which in itself is a spin, a Yakuza spinoff series uh, from the Yakuza development team, is going to have in it a arcade cabinet for Sonic the Fighters, <laughs> which is a Japanese arcade fighting game where you can beat each other up with Sonic characters. But they're going to make the full version of the arcade game Sonic the Fighters playable in Lost Judgment. Again, not coming out on the Nintendo Switch, but it definitely bears mentioning, I think. So cool. It it is admittedly pretty cool. And of course, with Yakuza being a Sega series, it it does ultimately make sense. That's not really necessarily cross-promotion so much as an Easter egg, but... I, yeah, there you go. If you have a PlayStation or an Xbox and you wind up picking Lost, uh, picking up Lost Judgment, then you can play an arcade perfect port of Sonic the Fighters <laughs> within that game. So, yay. <laughs> but in terms of cross promotions, that's really all we found out about from this presentation. However, they are seemingly doing quite a bit for the 30th anniversary of Sonic the Hedgehog for the mobile platform as well. Sonic has multiple mobile games that are running concurrent right now. Sonic Dash, which I've been playing on and off for years, it's an endless runner that it's basically a Sonic the Hedgehog themed endless runner, which Sonic the Hedgehog lends itself pretty well to a game like that. But if you have Sonic Dash, it looks like they're going to do some cool little pirate themed event For the 30th anniversary, it looks like they're going to be doing some stuff for the Sonic Forces mobile game and even for the Sonic Racing Apple Arcade game. That kind of makes me want to try Apple Arcade just to see how that Sonic Racing game plays on there. I have Apple Arcade. I might have to download that. That actually looked pretty cool. Well, Sonic Racing and Sonic Racing Transformed are both really, really good games. I can't vouch for Sonic Team Racing seem to have been a pretty substantial step backward for the franchise, but Sonic Racing and Sonic Racing Transformed are both really, really good titles. So I would be willing to see what this Apple Arcade Sonic Racing game looks like. And even beyond that, it looks like they're going to be doing stuff well into the year. They talked about some Halloween-timed events going back to Sonic Dash. They're doing the pirate thing now, but it looks like they're even going to be adding the Werehog from Sonic Unleashed into Sonic right. Dash, and it looks like they're going to be doing other stuff. So if you play Sonic on your mobile platforms as well, looks like you've got a few things to be mildly excited about. But, you know, cross promotions, I'm sure we're going to get more information on those. We got cross promotions, we got mobile stuff, but what was everybody really excited for from this 30th anniversary Sonic Central? Because we knew 
we had to get some actual console game announcements. And sure enough, the rumors were true. Yeah, the probably the single biggest rumor, and we reported on this months ago when it was first, I think it popped up on like a German Amazon listing or something like that. It's always something along those lines, right? Oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the rumors were true. Sonic Colors Ultimate, a HD port of the classic, you know, now classic, it's like a 10-year-old Wii game at this point. <laughs> and um, it, it, by all accounts, the kind of the best Sonic game of the 3D era um, is coming to the Switch on September 7th. I'm pretty stoked about this, actually. I am too. Uh, admittedly, yes, we love the blue blur, but we can admit that a lot of his 3D outings were very subpar. Sonic and the Secret Ring, Sonic and the Black Knight, Sonic 06, obviously. But because of that, a lot of people forget that games like Sonic Generations and Sonic Colors were both really solid titles. I thoroughly enjoyed Sonic Colors on the Nintendo we had had for my money. This might be a hot take, but I think Reach for the Stars is the best Sonic theme of all time. Live and Learn can get in the bin, but... <laughs> oh, man, that is a hot take. I'm sorry, but Reach for the Stars is a fantastic song, and I really hope it comes back. And oh, it will. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will. We may even get a remix to it because they talked about having new... Music, obviously, you can't bring back a game these days and not add anything. So it looks like they are going to be adding some stuff to the game. And speaking of stuff they're adding here on the official website for Sonic Colors, it says uh, available on all platforms and now more colorful than ever with enhanced visuals and graphics, uh, refined controls and many more gameplay upgrades. So. Huh. The refined controls is ob is obviously one of the big things that people criticize about a lot of the 3D Sonic games. So simply the fact that it says refined controls makes me very, very happy. But when they talk about many more gameplay upgrades, I do know what one of those is going to be. On, again, on the Sonic Colors Ultimate official website, there is they are adding a new Wisp to Sonic oh. Colors. And for those who have played Sonic Colors, the Wisps are these alien characters that Sonic is trying to save. But these different colored alien characters also grant Sonic special abilities. That's the big hook, the big gimmick with Sonic Colors is the different abilities that these alien Wisps can give you. And for the new Ultimate version, you have a new Jade Wisp. And the Sonic Colors website says, quote, Keep an eye out for the new Jade Wisp. This mysterious creature grants Sonic the ability to pass through walls easily and levitate like a ghost to reach otherwise impossible areas. Huh. That's interesting. Levitate like a ghost. That's interesting. I, I will come back to that ghost comment later on. <laughs> Put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, again, super happy that Sonic Colors is coming back. I'm legitimately excited to, re uh, to replay through that on the Nintendo Switch. It's, yeah, if you were going to remake a Sonic game, that's kind of the one to remake. I mean, yeah. I mean, like like we've had Sonic Generations and Sonic Mania, but with the ex and then like Sonic Colors and and everything else has been from middling at best to downright bad at worst. So, 
it is really nice. I again, it's got that Wii heritage, you know, from that Wii era of games, and I, I'm really looking forward to it, man. And by the way, they're releasing it at forty dollars. So nice. Like this is what I was talking about when I was saying that Nintendo could really, in some cases, take a page from Sega's book, because Nintendo put out, for example, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze and charged us sixty bucks for it. Yeah. Meanwhile. We're getting Sonic Colors Ultimate for 40 bucks. All of these new upgrades and improvements to the game. Uh, I mean, yes, if you're getting the physical version, does it come with that horrific and terrible baby Sonic <laughs> keychain? Yes. <laughs> that is kind of awkward. That does make me wonder why they added that. But they did advertise some stuff with the quote-unquote digital deluxe version of the game as well, including even like something directly taken from the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Apparently you'll be able to get access to an effect, a lightning effect that was ripped straight from the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and be able to customize Sonic with that. You'll also be able to customize Sonic with new gold and silver boots and armbands. So they, they are adding, in addition to a new Wisp, a new gameplay mechanic, they're adding some other little stuff. Some They also advertise some new music that they're adding with the digital deluxe version as well. So enhanced visuals, refined controls, a new gameplay mechanic, and some extra little stuff. I mean, that, I'm that's, in. That's basically remake bingo right there. So I'm happy about it. But that was not the only Sonic Colors news we got. Right after we got the announcement of Sonic Colors Ultimate, uh, who joined us for the Sonic Central Direct, but none other than the man himself coming back into his iconic role as the Blue Blur, Mr. Roger Craig Smith. Yes, the blue, the broken blue heart has been patched up. He's back and uh, was announcing an animated series based on Sonic Colors, Sonic Colors Rise of the Wisps. I mean, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, I was not expecting that. They were already working on Sonic Prime, and they were already doing other things with Sonic in the animation zeitgeist, but I, I mean, I'm here for it. I am. Yeah. We, it, it, it gave them a reason to play Reach for the Stars during the Sonic Central, which I was all <laughs> here for. And talking about that new Jade Wisp that's going to be appearing in Sonic Colors Ultimate, apparently that Jade Wisp is going to be fairly central to the plot of this Sonic Colors animated series. And the animation looks really, really good. It looks like, it reminds me of the animation from the new DuckTales series Mm. that appeared on Disney and the new Mickey Mouse shorts. There's some, I don't really know how to describe that animation style, but it looks really good. The animation itself looks really smooth. Obviously you can hear uh, Roger Craig Smith's sultry tones behind Sonic's (laughs) voice that, make me so happy. That was that was one of the biggest things is in addition to all the actual content announcements, one of I think the biggest stories that a lot of people are going to gloss over when talking about this is the fact that this is when we found out that Roger Craig Smith was returning to the role of Sonic. He teased it the day before the actual presentation, but it was a news story. It was an actual industry news story when Roger yeah. Craig Smith, a few months prior, announced his departure from the role. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. I, you, you, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. And to be honest, you know, it sounds like not too crazy. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that might just say, oh, that was all just a publicity stunt anyway, so that they could hype up his return to bring even more eyes to the Sonic Central. But whether it was 
a work or a shoot, as they say in the wrestling world, whether it was real or fake, it did wind up generating quite a bit more buzz for this week's presentation. And honestly, regardless of what did happen behind the scenes, regardless of what you think of the Sonic franchise, doesn't it just feel like everything is right in the world again, knowing that Roger Craig Smith is going to be once again behind the voice of the legendary hedgehog? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so cool to see him. And it's and yeah, it's it's nice to hear his voice behind Sonic again. And he even said, like, this is because of the community. This is because of all the love that people have poured into this. So, uh, yeah, just very, very heartwarming moment to see him in the booth providing the voice of Sonic and and announcing this. Uh, and we, we actually, we, there's not a lot to, to say about it, but we did get that little update on Sonic Prime as well from Joe Kelly uh, of Man of Action. So that was kind of nice, but not not a whole lot of movement there. That's that Netflix series that they're working on, but not a huge update. Just, hey, it's still coming. <laughs> but Sonic Colors Ultimate certainly wasn't the only game announcement from this presentation. Admittedly, it might start to seem like old hat, but we did get announced another Sonic Games collection coming soon called Sonic Origins, which will apparently contain Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles, and Sonic CD. I am glad that they're putting Sonic CD. We've seen so many collections that have that kind of core quartet that don't include Sonic CD, and the availability of Sonic CD has been so weird throughout the years, despite the fact that it it really is kind of a core Sonic experience. So I am glad that that all five of these games are coming together under one roof. I am admittedly getting a little bit tired of seeing all of the original Sonic games getting bundled. I think it's happened a good 500,000 right. times now. But having all of these together, Sonic 1, 2, 3, Sonic and & Knuckles, and Sonic CD, I think that is going to be like the definitive retro Sonic collection. And I do think it is going to be worth picking up. They're calling it Sonic Origins. Yes. And it's going to be released next year for home consoles in quotes. Gotta imagine it's coming to switch. Yeah. But the big thing there is Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which Mm -hmm. um, some people may not know has not been re-released in any real context because of a... This has never been confirmed by Sega, so I don't want to put that out there, but it's been speculated that because of some of the game's music originally was composed by Michael Jackson. Yeah, that's a weird (laughs) thing in Nintendo history. We're not going to get into that right now. Yeah, that's a weird little fact, but apparently because of that, uh, they've had weird licensing issues that have never been able to properly re-release the game. So... It seems like things have been ironed out or maybe they're replacing music tracks or something like that. But it's it's cool to finally have a compilation where we're going to be able to have Sonic 3 on modern consoles. I mean, that's that's really cool in itself. That that alone is a huge story. Now, they also advertised new content and features. Now, yeah. that, that might just be marketing speak, but I consider new con- if you're going to separate content and features... It makes me think what is actually getting added to the games themselves. I mean, you can have features could presumably is going to be something like an art gallery, a sound test, you know, a lot of those fun little tertiary extra modes, but they, they specifically said new content and features. So I would be very interested to see what this quote unquote new content is considering that we're getting the Sonic and Knuckles, considering we have the and Knuckles there. I hope right. 
I really hope that we can get Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic 2 and Knuckles, and Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Because for those who are unaware of how that Sonic and Knuckles add-on cartridge kind of worked, it was really bizarre. It's basically like physical DLC before there was an internet. Essentially what it was is the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge fit into the Sega Mega Drive, and then you would put a Sonic game on top of it. There was a separate slot on top of the Sonic and Knuckles cartridge that you could put Sonic 3 into, and it would add Knuckles into the game. It would add content to the game, which was mind-blowing at the time, but it turns out you could actually go back and use it with Sonic and Sonic 2. So I really hope that functionality is included in Sonic Origins as well. And really quickly, Seth mentioned the merchandise a little earlier. Some of those things look really interesting. And, you know, Mario had some interesting merchandise announced for his 30th anniversary, but he didn't have gold and silver coins. He didn't have what (laughs) appeared to be several hundred dollar jewel chains. Like some of the, it really made me wonder who this Sonic Central was trying to market to with some of this merchandise. Some of it looks really Really cool, admittedly, but some of it looks like, you know, you you would imagine a Sonic the Hedgehog presentation being marketed toward young kids. I can't imagine how many young kids are going to be chomping at the bit for for some of this stuff. Now, admittedly, the one thing for me that I absolutely need to get is that Encyclopedia, I guess they're calling it, from Dark (laughs) Horse, that massive 30-year retrospective Sonic the Hedgehog book coming from Dark Horse uh, this year, as was advertised in the Sonic Central. That looks really cool. But they said everything is going to be on the 30th anniversary website. So if you're interested in picking up a lot of blue blur swag, and if you look at some of this merchandise, I think swag is the right word. But if you're looking at picking up any of this stuff you can go to the sonic the hedgehog 30th anniversary website too to browse and shop to your heart's content but who we certainly got a lot of stuff to talk about in this but the one thing even more so than sonic colors ultimate that really set social media ablaze that really almost broke twitter in half was an actual new sonic game announcement what is it are we do we think <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a really mysterious uh, little trailer. I, I would hesitate to even call it a trailer. It's really a teaser for a new Sonic title, presumably a new 3D Sonic title from Sonic Team. And it's... I I don't know if we were getting a look at the logo there. It Sonic basically runs through this like dark forested area. This incredibly photorealistic area. I think that bears mentioning. Yes, yes. Very, like, photorealistic area. You get a shot of his feet, which seem to be, like, kind of glitching. I'll come back to that in a second. And he sort of carves, like, a path into the environment and ends up spelling out something or making some weird symbol. It vaguely looks like it's Zap, maybe? Um, I put out a Twitter poll on my personal Twitter uh, at two dollar hero, you can follow me there. Uh, <laughs> but the the prevailing uh, poll here, fifty uh, percent of people who voted in the poll think that it's Sonic Zap. So Sonic Zap seems to be the the title there, I guess. Um, 
we we don't get a, a huge look at really anything in particular in this trailer. There's really nothing to pick apart or see in the background or anything. But this is this has taken a really interesting turn here because the 4K version of the trailer was data mined. And in this data mine, they saw various file path names that make reference to a couple of things. Namely, the fact that it seems to be under the working title Sonic Rangers. So that's interesting. And we and I, I said glitch specifically uh, in reference to the effect going on with Sonic there because one of the file paths is Sonic Rangers glitch. So that that seems to be exactly what they're implying there with that weird effect that's going on with Sonic in the in the trailer. Um, but as it turns out, a lot of people realized, hang on, Sonic Rangers, that sounds familiar. This was talked about in a leak way back in January from people who claimed to have played an early build of it in a focus test. So it, it like unraveled this whole weird chain of rumors and leaks from like months ago. And even though we can't really gleam anything from this teaser trailer, if, if this leak is to be believed, this is going to be like an open world RPG light Sonic game. Uh, there was a couple things that I noticed from this small trailer. Now, the logo itself seems almost unreadable. It actually almost looks like it's Arabic. The way it's it's set up, it's very uniquely. It's it's clearly a word. It's clearly supposed to be representing a word, but it's also very clearly supposed to be very ambiguous and very mysterious. And it's very clearly supposed to hopefully not be able to be translated until they're ready for us to know what it is. But going back to the glitch effect and going back to how photorealistic everything is. The whole vibe that I was getting from this entire trailer was the Sonic movie. And when I started to see the glitch effect, you saw the glitch effect with Sonic as he was running. He started to glow blue and then his feet started to have this little glitch effect. And then after he finishes running through the forest and spelling out this mysterious word, the screen wipe transition for the trailer was actually a glitch effect as well. So right. this entire glitch idea is 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 going to be really prevalent. And with the glitch and with the photorealistic stuff and with the Sonic movie vibe, I wonder if the entire I wonder if the idea behind this game is that Sonic has somehow glitched into the real world. Hmm. Maybe it's, it's really interesting because yeah, you're right. The glitch thing is very prevalent in the few little things we do see in the trailer. And I mean, maybe there's multiple worlds in the game. I mean, if we're, if we're taking cues from the Sonic movie, I mean, spoilers for the Sonic movie, I guess, but the, the rings in that were kind of portals to different worlds and dimensions. So Maybe we're seeing something like that. Maybe there'll be multiple open worlds and one of them is kind of an, uh, the real world. Who's to say? Uh, really, what we do know, though, is that it's coming out next year. It ends with a 2022. And in addition to PlayStation and Xbox, we do see that it is indeed coming to Switch. So whatever it is, we're going to be able to play it on Nintendo consoles. And another thing that I kind of thought is 
considering the fact that they're adding some amount of Sonic the Hedgehog movie content into Sonic Colors Ultimate with that lightning effect, just that little touch, the fact that they're taking inspiration from the Sonic movie, Sonic, especially in the past 10 years, has kind of gotten in this habit of crossing over different versions of Sonic the Hedgehog. They did it to great effect with Sonic Generations, and then they tried to do it again with a couple other games. But could this also be another game where the incredibly popular and why isn't there already a game based around it movie? Could this be something where this is actually the the movie version of Sonic or maybe potentially you meet or get to interact with the movie version of Sonic in this game? That was another thing that I, you know, was kind of thinking, especially with all the photorealism and the real world forest environment going on. So is this something where Sonic glitches into the real world? Are we going to get to see the movie Sonic? There's a couple things that I think have very good chances of happening with this title. Yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. And again, this is a real quick, like thir- literally 30 second teaser trailer. Um, but to touch on that leak again, really quickly, this is again, this is a leak, a rumor that has no real bearing, no real thing from Sega or anything like that. Take this with a huge grain of salt. But again, this is lining up with things going all the way back to like January. And according to this person that says that they focus tested the game, they say that it is open world. It is doing the kind of like it's very clearly inspired by Breath of the Wild, which we're seeing a lot now with a lot of games. Um, I mean, look at Pokemon Legends Arceus, right? It's very much a lot of these games are getting inspired by Breath of the Wild. And they say that what we saw Sonic do there, because he runs and he creates a loop that then kind of fades into what is apparently the logo of the game. They say that this is a new skill called the spin cycle, where you will run circles around groups of enemies and and anything that basically is inside of that circle gets attacked. Um, So that could be what we're seeing there. According to this leak, who knows? They say there's a skill tree. Uh, they say that there is portals that lead to uh, Sonic Unleashed style levels. Uh, they say there's a skill tree and a leveling system and boss battles out in the open world. It sounds like it could be interesting if this is to be believed, but a weird thing, and this is me taking the pin out of that ghost comment from earlier. They say that the story revolves around a human ghost girl that is present with Sonic in this game. We see no no tease of that in this trailer. So who knows, but I did find it really interesting that this leaker says that there's a human ghost girl as a prevalent character in this game. And they use that ghost verbiage for Sonic colors. That was really weird. I I did. I did find that interesting. And obviously we're going to be hearing much more about this in the coming months. If I'm being completely honest though, I was really really hoping that when just like Nintendo direct, when they did that kind of fake out, thanks for joining us. Oh no, wait, we've got one last announcement. I was really so badly hoping to see Christian Whiteheaded headcanon's logo. Yeah, I was too. Yeah, I was, I was just like, just, just say Christian Whitehead's name. (laughs) You know, that's all I wanted. I just wanted something. But, you know, of course, that didn't end up happening. A lot of people were wanting, like, Sonic Adventure 3 or whatever, some kind of, like, redone port of Sonic Adventure. Everybody loves Sonic Adventure, apparently. Uh, <laughs> but we obviously didn't get that either. But, I look, 
my big takeaway from this is that we got almost everything in this Sonic Central is coming to Switch, so Nintendo fans have reason to be excited. We have Sonic 3, you know, coming back in the form of Sonic Origins. We've got a cool-looking port of one of the best Sonic games in Sonic Colors Ultimate, and we have this potentially really exciting tease for a brand new 3D Sonic game that may even be open world. So I thought there was quite a bit to be excited about here. I'm excited about a lot of it. I'm especially excited about Sonic Colors. But for me, I really do feel like I have to bring up one big thing. And that is as positive as as we always try to be on this show. And I am very positive about most of the stuff that I saw in this Sonic Central. This is the beginning of this is us starting the cycle over of us allowing ourselves to be excited about a Sonic team game to where yeah. most of the time that cycle right before it restarts ends with everybody being really disappointed in that Sonic team <laughs> game. So, I mean, we've seen it so, so many times, especially since Sonic 06. We've seen it with Sonic and the Secret Rings and Sonic and the Black Knight and Sonic, especially Sonic Boom. So Yeah, yeah. And Sonic Forces. Thank we've, you for saying that. Yeah, we've <laughs> honestly, seriously, thank you for saying that because I could already feel myself getting more excited for this than I probably should. And you're right. That has this weird power, right? Like we all want Sonic to yes. be good so badly that we allow ourselves to get excited. All that's why they keep trudging out these Sonic Origins titles is because how good they were. They want to keep reminding people, remember when everybody universally beloved the Hedgehog. Remember when every yeah. single game that we released in the Sonic franchise was good or at least playable. And I'm allowing myself to be cautiously optimistic about this new Sonic right. team game. But yes, it bears repeating that that we are still, there's no reason for us yet to really believe that we have completely broken that cycle. We have been surprised by a couple games in the past that we've mentioned already in Sonic Generations and Sonic Colors, which is why they're remaking Sonic Colors, but there are just way too many games on the wrong side of good. Yeah. To For me to let myself get unabashedly optimistic about this new potential Sonic team game. Again, I hope it's good. All of us, especially gamers of a certain age, we remember when Sonic was good. We still want ourselves to believe that the games are going to be consistently that good again. And that was the biggest reason that I really wanted to see Christian Whitehead and Head Cannon's logo during that last presentation. Because if, if we got Sonic Mania 2, I promise you that game would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're so right about that, man. Yeah, but I can't make any promises about the quality of this new Sonic Team game. Again, cautiously optimistic, and I am legitimately excited to replay Sonic Colors. It was already a good game, and they've already said they're going to be refining the gameplay. So, yes, I'm I'm fairly excited for Sonic Colors Ultimate. But we will cautiously, optimistically bide our time and wait to see what comes out about this new 3d Sonic team game. And I hope that we just keep being given reasons to get excited. I really hope that happens. I don't want Sonic games to be disappointments. I want Sonic to be, I want Sonic and Mario to be on equal footing again. I want the games to be that yeah. good. 
And I would love nothing more than to see this new Sonic game come out and to just blow everyone away. I want that to happen, but we'll see. Amen. And I imagine we're going to get a lot more information in the coming months. As I have uh, endeavored to mention multiple times, this is the first of the Sonic Central presentation. Mm. Specifically, they mention the first, which very clearly implies that they plan on having more. This is not just going to be a one-off. So hopefully we can look forward to more Sonic Centrals in the future. But what about you guys? Did you guys check out all the announcements from this past week from the House of the Hedgehog? What did you think about everything you saw? Are you excited to play Sonic Colors Ultimate. Are you excited to check out all these mobile updates? Are you 100% convinced already that this new Sonic Team game is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread? Reach out to us and let us know. You can find us on Facebook at All In Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, ironically enough, at All In Podcast. And after giving us a like on both of those platforms, do please like and subscribe to All In, a Nintendo podcast on whatever streaming platform you listen to your podcasts on, whether it be SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, or Spotify. Once again, thank you guys. Thank everybody so much for hanging out with us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. But it has been such an insane past week so much to think about so much to watch so much to talk about and it's probably only going to get even more hectic going into the official beginning of e3 here in just a couple weeks and we're more than likely as we've already said going to be getting confirmation of the switch pro next week man seth i man i got no choice i'm gonna have to go put another pot of coffee on guys I have been super ghouls and Eric. Yeah, I, I think I might have to join you on that, man. I think I may need to grab a couple energy drinks, down a couple pots of coffee and, and join you in that endeavor because it's going to be insane. Uh, buckle up, you guys. The, the next few weeks of content are going to be absolutely nuts. But until then, I have been the newest member of Crush 40. Seth, we'll see you guys next week. Well, how do you take your coffee, man? With one sugar or ten? Nothing.